Hey everyone, it's Peter, and welcome back to the Super Combo Podcast. As usual, I'm joined by our co-host, Chris of UniX. Chris, how are you doing today? The energy is low, but the will to make content is high. So uh, here we are, doing the thing. Doing it, and doing it, and you guessed it, doing it well. Yeah, absolutely. We did end up missing last week. Uh, I thought it important to give Chris some recovery from flying right back home from Fest, and on that same day... Uh, he still ended up grinding out some content, <laughs> so <laughs> your, your, your man never stops from the sounds of it. And as usual, you guys already know, he's already putting out a bunch. Um, but on that same topic, you know, you had returned from Fest, and that is going to be one of our topics, touch base on Fest, Miami uh, Fest, how we thought about that. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, hey, since we're going to talk about an event, we did get a couple of announcements today in regards to what Q2 regionals are going to look like, for IRLs at least. Um, and then we got some reveals to touch base on. So, running it right into the first one, uh, Miami Fest. I obviously couldn't go. I had to play in uh, online fest instead. Uh, my experience online went fine. Uh, it was Canadian only, which was cool. It was like 80 participants, which is actually way better than I was expecting. I wasn't expecting at $65 a pop. I was not expecting 80 Canadians to show up to this event. Um, and I had, <laughs> I had some of the best gameplay like I had ever played so like there's this one opponent I had. Um clearly new to the game, maybe just picked it up that same week. And like it had it it th that game and it's still on my, it's still a VOD on my channel if people want to check it out, I think. But that game had everything. Um screen only showed his board. Also his internet was only good enough so that it would like show one frame every about five seconds, which is fantastic. Mm. Um hand basically up. Bro, the the he comboed with three cards. And he's like 60k. I'm like, how? <laughs> <laughs> was he adding their actual power? Yeah, to yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, bro, bro. I, I was swinging for like 55 or 60, whatever. And he plays like, or yeah, I think I was swinging for 55. And he plays three cards. He's like 60k. Like that's not 60, bro. <laughs> you said that you should have looked at your combo power and been like, well, I'm at 80k, <laughs> dude. <laughs> turn three. Uh, I ask him how many cards are in his hand, and he's like 17. What? <laughs> and like, and like, I couldn't. He was playing Helku also, and I'm like, oh, I, wait. I, there was, there was, I could not tell for the life of me what was going on. But like, you know, with new players, our game is like so skill intensive that like you can probably just take game anyways. So like, even though I could have called judge like a hundred times, like I opted not to, just let it flow. Um, and then, yeah, bro, he plays Power of a Super Saiyan, and then next turn, as I'm swinging into him, he's like, hey, so is Power of a Super Saiyan once per game? Uh, do you have a second one in your deck? Is that why you're asking me? <laughs> and it's like, no, uh, I just put it back in my hand after the activate battle. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, so that, that, that was, that was a highlight. Um, but overall my, my event went okay. Finished top 16. I went to X2 with Sin Shenron. So can't complain too much. Uh, cut was to a top eight though, so unfortunate for me. And we did actually end up getting uh, losing around two, uh, going to one undefeated, um, which means there was an X one who did not actually make it into top cut, which I think is always super unfortunate. It hurts. Yeah, just a little bit. Yep, and like it, and this had nothing to do with draws. There were no draws, but because you're an odd paired number of participants, there's someone, you know, one of the players ended up playing a pair down in one of the last rounds, and then there goes one of the rounds that we would have played, which, you know, one, potentially I could have been in top eight contention. Um, who knows? If I end up winning out my last round. And two, it means that someone who's X1 doesn't get bumped out of bubbles out top cut. So 
it's unfortunate, but you know, things to learn. Um, but so online regional was fine. People had fun. It was a good time. But uh, Miami looked like it was popping off. The stream was doing incredibly well. Um, you guys had like a superstar lineup of casters. You, you oh, were really on, did. you were on stream. And from yeah. what my stream was telling me, you killed it. I mean, it was unfortunate. I'm not sure how many other players like. <sighs> Red is already in a really good space right now. Uh, Dark Broly is weakened, but it still has moves. Dark Broly has been spotted at multiple tournaments, and in Europe, uh, I can't... I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from uh, Merc, but in Europe had a third-place best Dark Broly list. So that's pretty wild. But I just don't think my opponent... Like, my opponent was... A, I think he was a little nervous because he missed a couple times and seemed kind of unsure. But he really couldn't have found, like, too many worse opponents for him to have faced... When it comes to Dark Broly, I was just like, I know your moves before you do. Like, it just <laughs> it felt so, it felt so speedy. Like, like he's like, ah, oh, yes, Demigra. And then, like, I watched the stream. Like, John Carlo and Frank were just like, ah, oh, yes, Demigra's such a good card. And oh, yeah, Chris just swung in Realm of the Gods. And, All right, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he Demigra again. That's really tight. Oh, and Chris just swung in Realm of the Gods again. Okay. And like sometimes it was like brutal. It was like 17 like swing, Realm of the Gods. And it's just like, okay, deal with this 25k double striker. And by the way, get that Demigra off the field because I don't want it here. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, man. It just it felt like really bad because at no point did I feel in danger with that deck. Yeah. Just, I mean, I I managed to tune in for the first five to ten minutes you were playing. I'm like, oh, he's playing against Dark uh, Dark Broly. He's fine. <laughs> 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 I like Chris has so many reps with this deck. He knows what's going on. This is uh this is very true. This is very true. So yeah, that, that felt a little skeezy. Um unfortunately afterwards I fell into the uh the rogue tier. Like something well not the rogue tier at first. I faced Ivo at like table like six. He was on hatch. Or was it table like eleven? Is some yeah, he was on black hatch. And I lost in time. Not even like oh, like a gajillion things. Like I had multiple swings left. He was at three life, I was at two life. And the roughest part about a losing like that is because I still had multiple things in play. Um, I had, <clears throat> I had like new ruler in hand. I had um, Vegeta's plus one, Vegeta Unison's plus one that would have put a vanilla onto the board. Like if I could have just resolved all my attacks, there's a high probability I'm getting him down because I was gonna plus one with Vegito after swinging with it, and then I was going to play a two-drop unison and swing with that. I had about, even under hatch with my leader, Vegito unison, and my own second unison, plus swinging with Divine Presence twice, I had a lot of attacks lined up. And uh, Amani was there at the end of it. Ivo said if we did not have time, I probably would have won that. But even if we had, like, another minute on the clock, perhaps getting all my stuff out, plus one, and playing the unison, which, by the way, when I play a unison... Like, ah, there's, there's just so much. There's so much that makes me super sad there. Um, because if we had the same amount of life, I would have had more things on board. Yeah. So, it is what it is. Uh, I faced Michael Friend afterwards, and that one was when I knew it just wasn't my day and the tournament just wanted me to fail. Because I thought that matchup was going to be an auto-scoop, I mean, for Yamchas. And I saw no Yamchas. In a Gohan deck. Feels bad. This dude, this dude had, like, five tokens on board. Like, I couldn't do anything about it. I was like, wow, this sucks. So um, that's when I knew. It just wasn't my tournament. And then uh, to add insult to injury, every other table was playing Red U7 Goku. And I just, I just like, really wanted to face that matchup all day. Yeah. I only faced one. 
I only faced one, and I beat him, and he ended up in top sixteen. Hey. That just makes me. That makes me feel awful. <laughs> 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 like that makes me literally feel awful. Oh, I would have feasted if I just saw him on G seven. Anywho, with that being said, um, Miami was pretty cool. It was a it was a pretty smoothly run tournament, but that's what you can always expect from PPG. Um, Gogeta Zeno taking it is wild. Um, and granted, now granted, we can say that best of one preside even even though it's better than just best of one. Best of one preside still leads a uh, leads a fair amount of variance up, you know. Of course. But uh, it is surprising that Gogeta Zeno was still even with his variance taking consideration, was still able to high roll its way through that many rounds. Because we have all seen what happens when Gogeta Zeno mills meh. Like, you can mill on point, you can mill decent, but when you, like, flip over two out of your three super combos on turn one, and your opponent just understands from the rip they could be a little bit more aggressive with you, it, it sucks. You can mill super combos and no Zeno trunkses and just be like, hmm. Am I the idiot? <laughs> like, <laughs> did I play the wrong deck? <laughs> is this my fault? So it's a, uh, it is interesting to see that. Um, things I did not really think were unexpected. U uh, seven Goku by far was the most represented deck. Um, despite me dodging all but one of my rounds being it, and by dodging I mean like missing because I really wanted it. Every other table was playing U seven Goku. Like literally every other table. It was insane. Um. There's a fair amount of yellow trunks there as well. That was surprising. Uh, and it even got to the second round, which is wild. Before you guys start to get up here and say yellow trunks Jita is, like, really, really good, do not be fooled. Yellow is still powerful. It's just, this is the best archetype you can use it with. Like, if yellow didn't have repost and, you know, like, it, if yellow didn't have yellow cards, trunks Jita would just be in the same waste bin as half the other archetypes. Like, it, it's got some cool one-drops. Its leader does cool things. The built-in Chompa is cool. But it's still yellow's defensive properties that even keep that deck in the game. So that's I, don't know, I, I mean I find the deck annoying for sure. And the, like and I, I mean specifically the trunks cards are annoying. Oh, um, I think it's it's weird. They have offensive capabilities and normally yellow struggles with a way to beat you down. Yellow normally grinds you out. And I find that yellow trunks is unique in the sense that it's a fairly it has some really good punchy cards. When it comes to uh, when it comes to yellow, so the defense holds up like normal, but that SR can really chip you. And then you have like the blockers and you know the Vegeta evolve, and the blockers is weird too. But the only thing is that uh, I don't know the blockers like a it's like poutine except I feel like it's almost easier to deal with. The funny thing is that they can both be triggered at the same time, yes. but depending on your deck, it may may or may not be easy to do so. Like if you're playing U seven. Goku, you play a Frieza or a 17 and you just trigger Poutine and Trunks immediately and then you just continue about your turn. But like, it's, I don't know, it's really weird. I, I really, I don't think the deck is bad. I don't think people, like, I, I don't think people were right for calling it trash. I don't think people were right for calling it Icarus 2.0. I think people are right on the money when they say it's Icarus light. Like, it, if it existed in the same format as Icarus at full power, Icarus would just body it every single day. But in a format without Icarus, it is the de facto best non-sin yellow deck. Yeah, agreed. But, uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much that's that's all I really have to say about Miami. Miami actually was pretty neat in the sense that it uh, 
it didn't shake up any of the status quo that most people put out. If you had paid attention to the previous tournaments, read cards, and done any amount of testing, um, Miami pretty much fit directly what your expectations were. And I think that's the sign of a maybe not perfect format, but I don't know. Like, it feels good to be able to look at a format, make predictions, make educated guesses, test a little bit, and then for it to actually be kind of solidifying, like, look of the format. I like that. Yeah, same. I mean, it is best of one, but like it's there's only so many times we can say it's best of one when like realistically the majority of tournaments in a season four Dragon Ball now are best of one tournaments. Yes, the most competitive tournaments end up playing best of three, but the way that the game is played the most is best of one. So you, you while yes, you have to take it with a grain of salt, it's a grain of salt that you kind of have to accept that makes up the majority of the goddamn, you know, jar. So mm-hmm. so um when we go down the breakdown of top 16, which, by the way, just quick note, uh, PPG, some quality control on, like, whoever makes these posts would be, like, fantastic. Because uh, Reggie 7, like you said, most popular populated deck, which leads to the most representation with six in the top 16. Um, there are, like, four different ways that uh, <laughs> Reggie 7 is represented in this, like, deck top 16 breakdown. There's Red Sun Goku, Reggie 7 Goku... Mono red BT sixteen zero zero one. That that's that's it. <laughs> um, red supreme warrior. Like there is just some consistency would be cool. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, so as far as the top sixteen goes, uh, Goku and like the rest is like, hey man, this is the best of one event. This is kind of what you have to expect. Since Shenron, um, I think a big contender that people think is doing incredibly well. Goji Zeno, you're gonna see it in some numbers uh, for every player that low rolls into like milling all their super combos. Uh, there's one that you know high rolls into a turn one thwarting every single game for the entire tournament. You know, like that's just. The of it. <laughs> um, don't, King... you, don't you wish that evil upon people? <laughs> um, King Piccolo obviously has been like shredding this first month of the competitive season. Um, SS4 Vegeta, one of the de facto yellow decks or blue decks. Um, King Cold, uh, the only reason that green exists as a color in this game right now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you would never. Things you thought you would never say in your life. King freaking Cold. He puts an entire color on his MF back, bro. He's going in. He's going in strong. Homeboy cannot be done. Like, that's so crazy. What did King Cole do on the show, man? He showed he, up, talked died, a whole bunch of shit. He died in five minutes. That's what he did. <laughs> he took Trump's sword. He was like, what if I told you that I thought all your power was in your deck and you were a terrible tier fucking five player? And then Trunks is like, at least tier 1.5. And it just blew him out. I was like, oh, no. Like, But we have King Cole here. Being a gimmick beyond gimmicks, like, dude can't combo, but hey, bro can accelerate, bro's got greens gimmicks, bro's doing things, like, bro is, bro is hitting you for double strike more times than you care to get hit for double strike, like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, I, yeah, I'm very much fond of, and like, let's be real here, like, we say green deck in the sense that, like, the deck plays green cards, it's not a green deck because the archetype has, like, 40 cards in the deck, um, but hey, at least you can say... On a theoretical, you know, technical level, yeah, green is out here, and the deck's just solid. <laughs> I mean, like, like you said, like it's it's not only the fact that it's double, like you can line up double strike swings from a leader every single turn, but usually it's twenty five k double strike swings, uh, which means that if you're an archetype that punishes battle card play, you can play solo with the leader until turn four, turn five, easy. 
Um, otherwise, you can go for an aggro line where starting on turn two, you can start dishing out dual attack freezes um, and then more dual attack freezes into like the five drop gold freezer, which is like super solid. So, uh, or, something funny. Mm. Y'all, uh, y'all talking about Invoker being the absolute truth. Uh, a leader that just starts swinging double strike with this leader over and over again is kind of like Invoker Bane. I won't even hold you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, you know what Death Beam cannot hit? You guessed it. Like, it's just, it's uh, pretty funny that way. It's yeah. honestly kind of funny that way. Yeah, 100%. I mean, so the, you, the deck is super solid. Um, it's not what people want out of green, but hey, at least it's there. Because otherwise, if it weren't for King Cold, the greenest thing that would exist in this fucking meta is the fact that King Piccolo has like a green body, and that's about it. I mean, that's facts. He's green <laughs> by nature. Um, but no, like Aspira is right though. I mean, King Cold is to green what Sin is to yellow. Like they yep. just happen to play the card color, but they are very much so their own decks. Pretty much, but basically holding it down. Um, we have a Mill Cooler. To be expected at this point, there's a lot of, you know, dig deep decks at this point in the game. So Cooler will do well if it sees some resilient matchups. Soul Striker, yeah, we see a Soul Striker to somewhere in the matchup, whether it's blue red or blue yellow. Um, there's some variation there, and odds are people will play it to decent success. You got Trunks and then Android 21, which uh, blue green between Android 16 and Android 21 for the past uh, uh, month, we've been seeing smattering of results with that color combination because some decks just don't deal well with the fact. Uh, of everything that blue green does plus like it has an innate burn that's not really super interactive so like there, there, there's lots of ways for that deck to be able to get there i um, mean i do think it's one of those decks that people don't respect enough to have in their gauntlet that they don't totally know how they're supposed to go into the matchup so yeah 100 percent. and then you face king cole and you're like hey how come nothing is like working the way i thought it was gonna work? <laughs> and then like you know, a King Cole player is just like, I live in the shadows. You merely adopted. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it just gets, it gets like bad. It gets bad. Like, one moment you're thinking this is a joke deck, and the next moment you're at two life. You realize you've been double struck by the leader like dead ass five times, and you're like, you know, this is not a safe position for me right now. <laughs> like, yeah, not, not, not very daijobu. <laughs> so, yeah, you're, you're right about that one. What's, uh, what's the rest of that breakdown? I mean, that's so that's that that brings it all together for the top 16 um, and a lot of variety. But again, this variety is very standard for best of one format. So it's just the way it is. Um, but I don't think there's anything too incredibly shocking. Um, every single leader uh, on this top 16 has topped an event within the past month. So uh, standard fare, right? Nothing too shocking. Um, Red U7, the most represented uh, deck at the tournament, which has been uh, which are, supports the numbers we've been seeing across the board. Particularly because I think um, Red U7 is one of those decks that um, because the game plan is so like, okay, this is what you're meant to do. I think it's one of those decks that are very easy to pick up and you can have decent success with. The cards are very well statted. They have good effects. They give you board control for free. Um, and then you have one of the best finishers in the games at the moment um, in a color that's gotten some pretty good support over the last couple of little bit. So I, I think that not only is the fact that the deck is good, but the fact that um, it has a low barrier to entry is definitely what helps its population size be what it is at the moment. <clears throat> I was about to agree and I choked on spit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be honest. They can't see my reaction. So I had to let them know what that weird little hiccup was. Um, yeah. Ah, there's nothing else to add on to that. Sometimes statements are completely factual and perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, this is the meta 
supposedly that we're going to have until the next set release, which we've got reveals, which is great. We have an idea. Um, uh, are we okay with this? Do we like this? Do we think this is fine? And, you know, I think a lot of people were, some people were doom and gloom about King Piccolo beforehand, but we all know that, like, like if you just respect King Piccolo and make sure you have enough stuff on your side and you're, you're able to see it, you know, protector of the people, what have you, against, like, battle card spam the way that the deck does. Um, you know, I th we... We know that the deck's beatable. So uh, overall, you know, looking at like not only top 16, but the population size, yourself from playing in Miami, myself from playing in a couple of online tournaments. Uh, how do we feel about this? I feel fine. Um, I think uh, the game plays okay. Like, are there some decks I play up and against? Okay, okay, let's see how it goes. But like, I don't, I don't, I'm not upset about the format at the moment. <sighs> okay, so the way I feel about it right now, I actually do think it's pretty fine. Like, people are like, oh, King Piccolo needs to get hit. Now, look, King Piccolo is still, like... King Piccolo puts free cards on its back. Like, like oh, the last free player. Like, that's, that's essentially what King Piccolo is right now. Like, every other deck got to pay for their cards. It's actually one of the reasons why, like, while both decks can get folded to the same secret rare, if a King Piccolo plays a secret rare against an established... Um, U7 Goku player, U7 Goku player might even just pack it up. But if it happens the other way around, U7 player still has to close out the game because Piccolo will take two turns and have its board back. Only because King Piccolo will actually keep a hand and plays its stuff for the most part for free. Now, that being said, King Piccolo, like you said, King Piccolo, as long as you respect King Piccolo, you shouldn't get folded by it is it is hands down i think the best deck in the format pound for pound but you i mean you have things you can do to it per se like um why am i blanking so hard right now like if you're in red wolfang fist great against the deck because most of them start off as base 15s and pump afterwards um your yamchas are going to go a fair amount of the way too they're just going to get smoked by piccolo but there's even, like, etiquette that you can do when you're facing them. Like, most people swing once to get their leader's effect, put Piccolo down to five, and then Piccolo plays his unison, and they're like, ah, oh, crap, I swung, and he tested me off, and he signed on me, and he blocked, and how come I'm not getting through? Well, you put him in test me out range. Like, you literally did. Like, that, that going second, that first swing was not worth it. Because if you don't swing... They play their, like, you brainstem check them. And I'm sorry, if, if any of you guys fall into this line, I'm not calling you stupid. I'm just saying you might not have played against the right players or you got rewarded for the wrong plays. Because I am going to skip swinging going second. Because I want my opponent on their turn two to decide whether they're going to go without playing their unison or whether they're going to play their unison. And I know that I just have to produce four swings or three swings if one of them is double strike because of Scion. Like, that's just kind of immediately how it goes. If you're at six life and you play your unison, you can't test it. Meaning the only thing you can do when I swing on it is play a Scion if you have it. If you went first, your hand is a little smaller than mine. There's a fair amount of chances that you do not have Scion in there. Maybe you mold for it. Maybe you should. But um, it's just things like that. Like, small little pieces of etiquette that will keep you in the game. Because once you destroy that unison... If you can apply pressure, it will forever be awkward for them to try to reestablish it. There's no just tapping two in a red matchup 
without losing momentum. That that turn two is the turn you were supposed to play it and then cruise from there. So you kill that unison on your turn three, and they have to sit there wondering if they need to skip a turn to essentially play a Piccolo or never play Piccolo again, in which case that's an even bigger problem because your Yamchas and stuff are coming in and providing extra bodies. So my my I guess my point to that tangent is Piccolo is not unbeatable. It is a matchup you have to thoroughly learn and know how to tech inside against. And if those things are there, yes, you could still have an uphill battle because King Piccolo is the freest of the decks right now, but you're not going to get just folded without any difficulty, unless your deck is just bad, or you just don't do anything I just talked about in terms of learning the matchup. Um, now, Sin is pretty much weird. I do think Sin needs to go, not because I just hate it, but because I feel like different colors are more or less prepared for Sin. I think Red actually has one of the best Sin matchups that exists, mainly because with blue, you run the risk of getting, uh, you have God ceiling, but they have a whole bunch of 30Ks. And if they establish um, an eight drop and start removing anything, they can give them double strike, where they just triple strike your freaking unison. Like if you ever get caught lacking and you don't have God ceiling when they go to use their tap six, you just lose. Um, But red is in an awkward position because red not only has Realm of the Gods like everybody else does to deal with the skill drain. By the way, I personally feel like if there aren't at least three copies between your main and side of Realm of the Gods, call me a scrub, but I don't think you're doing it right because no deck likes to play under nine drops in. Like zero decks like to play under nine drops in. But um, red is in a unique position where we have Vegeta Unison. And there are cards that are sometimes very, very goaded going first. But Vegeta Unison can be used first or second. If you're going first, you play it on your turn five or your turn six going into their turn six and you keep up two energy, but you can minus two and know they can't have six. Um, but if you go second, you can play it on your turn five going to their turn six and do the same thing with one extra or one additional or sorry, one less mana going in or energy going into their turn. So I think red actually has the best utility. And we have a secret that blows up things. Like I think red honestly has some really good stuff like just knowing that you can go into your turn four and blow up their board and then go into your turn five and shut them out of re-establishing it and they have that one gap turn of trying to make sure they can put anything on board it's just crazy to me um but other colors aren't so fortunate like if you get to turn six and sin versus black i'm sorry Bl- uh green i'm sorry blue not as bad but i'm sorry certain yellow decks i'm definitely sorry um it's just sin is the most cancerous to me it has the most like weird uninteractive style of play and um the trick bottom the stick is just actually way too strong plus yellow doesn't really get to play like yellow in sin but the cards they can use like swift retaliation cooler final flash are still very powerful cards um but besides that i really do agree with you the format's pretty good uh u7 goku is strong super super strong but it's got its weaknesses. Actually, um, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I've got a fight night coming out later this week, and it's U7 versus U7. And I tried to showcase exactly some of the things that I did not play U7 Goku for. Uh, it's just, you. there are ways to get through U7, and there are ways you can set yourself up. Maybe I'll do like a little, little like blurb on that if you guys want. Like I'll just like sit there and do a video on it, but... Yeah, there's nothing in this format that screams, yo, this sucks. Except Gogeta Zeno. But Gogeta Zeno is like a, you know, 
that's a that's a double-edged sword like you could you live by the sword you die by the sword like orange jesus will bless you or he'll curse you and sometimes it feels really bad when orange jesus just lets a dude just like set your entire life pool of flame. but at the same time when a dude has three super combos between his grave and his warp and he hasn't used a single one yeah orange jesus just gave you like an m so yeah i i kind of agree with you there's nothing wrong with this format right yeah um I'm not inspired by the format, but I don't think anything's wrong with it. Um, and to that, I maybe just allocated to the fact that Unison Block has been here forever. Um, and, you know, we'll see how the, how the reveals in this, la- this last set for the block kind of shapes up into giving it like a little like sunset format. Um, but I wholly welcome the new block, Z leaders, whatever they entail, and bringing something fresh. Because... Don't get me wrong, like I said, nothing wrong with it. I'm just not inspired, and I think it'd be nice to have a fresh coat of paint on kind of like the format once uh, once new stuff gets introduced and arguably probably power creeps us into a new realm of the game. Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> I mean, oh, that didn't end with a question mark. I said I dig it because like I didn't, I just like, I thought you ended on a period, not a question mark. Uh, well, I mean, you know, just kind of <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, so so it'll it'll lend itself to just kind of considering, uh, you know, where things go from here. We'll see what the new stuff shakes up, um, which we will talk about the reveals in just a moment. But so you know, we we covered Miami. We talked about the fest events and basically everything that happened uh, in the month of March. Uh, from the looks of it, at the moment, uh, they made an announcement in regards to the next set of regionals. Now, I will say people are spelling doom and gloom about this, and I understand where they're coming from to an aspect. But, uh, there's, a, but there's also, these are also just IRL events, right? They, they don't account for... Okay, well, to context, Bandai released the latest wave of IRL regionals, or the first wave this year, um, which is huge because we don't... Did we even have like a singular IRL regional last year? I don't think so. I can't remember. I think they were all webcam. Uh, um, last year? Yeah. No, I got I got my event at Gen Con. Yeah, it, there was Gen Con, yeah, but outside of Gen Con, I think that was pretty much it. Yep. Um, so they have for North America, they have Core on May first, and they have Next Level Games, uh, in Tennessee, the seventh of May. Uh, Oceania has TAC on the first of May, and Europe has two on June third and June fifth. Um, now I have to agree with the community. For IRL events, you really do need to give your community more than just less than a month's time. Um, you know, I, no, you were supposed to bring us into the light, not the <laughs> truth, and turn no. us to darkness. All right, no, no, keep talking, keep talking. I'm, 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 I'm looking out. Sorry, guys, you're about to hear mommy and mommy <laughs> argue a little. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. I understand everything that goes into the logistics of figuring this out, getting tos. Um, getting venues, making sure that everything's confirmed, especially in a pandemic world, which, well, yes, for a lot of places, we are post-pandemic. We're, that's just it. We're post-pandemic. We're not normal at the moment, and there's still a lot of things to consider. Um, so should have these IRLs been announced earlier? Yeah, people need to get PTO. People need to you know, do, figure out things with their family. People need to put money aside, et cetera. Which, of course, with some you know, foresight into the fact that, like, IRLs are going to come this quarter like they had announced. You could probably kind of like work your way towards getting those things lined up a little bit early. But at the end of the day, without hard dates, it's kind of hard to say. So I will give the community that one token on that front. But 
There were concerns that we're barely going to have any regionals this year. By the way, it's lining up. Looks like we're only going to have two regionals a month, which means now, you know, Naz is going to be sub 100. Um, shout out to Mike. <laughs> um, but like, first off, these are just IRLs. There's going to be more offline ones, I guarantee, for this quarter, probably even in April, um, probably the last couple of weeks. I, and I don't know anything, but these are just kind of my um, guesses. And then more so to come throughout May uh, and the month after that. Um, so like that, I, I think in terms of having enough competitive events, I think we'll be okay. Um, and if anything, like, I think as a first foray into IRL events, I think two in May is great. Um, and then I think that lends itself to opening it up, you know, even more down the line as we go into the third quarter. So, um, I think while it is baby steps, um, it is nice to hear something. It, it happens. Yeah. They said, you know, it's, it's. They're going to announce events for Q2, um, of which that contains April and they haven't and they announced it at April. That's not, you know, super hot, but it is what it is. And, you know, having worked with the back ends of these kinds of things, I understand where a lot of the delays and stuff might be. So. Actual. All right. So here we go, because uh, I'm going to let you know, fam community, I've been a little upset all day and I've been trying not to go in <laughs> on Facebook. But uh, look, here it is, all right? What burns me up is that a lot of people are so quick to complain, but when they complain, they don't do so logically nine times out of ten. They, like, forget everything that led up to this point and then just start spitting like this is solidified fact, okay? Today, I heard people compare Bandai not caring to Konami being like the savior of TCGs. Um, people are saying that because Bandai released a schedule a month away, which is very, very short notice, that this makes them inferior and less caring than Konami, who canceled the YCS within eight days of it happening. Yo, like, I remember that. That was had plane tickets. <laughs> hotels <laughs> and the YCS was cancelled in the same week until until Bandai does anything on that level I don't want to hear it <laughs> I literally don't want to hear it um, people are talking about how oh well Konami has like all this stuff that's going on like did y'all forget that the last six months of Konami there were no in-person events <laughs> not only were there no in-person events they canceled said YCS and without even apologizing they really just left like a note on a page and then they started pushing Master Tool <laughs> they did not give a single fuck nope world's canceled <laughs> third year in a row like, um. yep. <laughs> like, and people are like, oh, this is. And then people are also like, well, flesh and blood gets to do. Okay, look, also, I'm going to say shut up. We got that too. Cause like, I'm going to be real. Flesh and blood, just like, say what you want. Everybody has their preference. I think the game is fairly low skill cap. But you know what? I'm going to just move on aside that and just talk logistics. When you talk about regionals or, you know, events like that, there are many people that can TO, but there are brick and mortar stores that do small things, you know, pre-releases, store championships, you know, small things. Maybe ARG back in the day would give out kits for them to do events. But then you have large-scale TOs, you know what I mean? PPG, core TCG, like things like that. A small TO may step up to the plate and do more when they are motivated to play a game. And when you see like, like things like this, like I'm not saying this is what's going on, but, like, 
look, you have to find a TL. You guys have to agree upon what money you pay said TL. Once you have that in place, you can then start looking at venues. And these venues have to be a balance of multiple things. Depending on the state, you may have different laws about how many people you can have at a gathering, whether they require gatherings of a magnitude like this to require vaccine. Because Bandai is trying to get away from that. Like, I think they might have done it once, and it was very not viewed well by the community. So now they're not trying to do that anymore. I'm not sure if Gen Con was like, you had to show your vaccine. I think I had to bring my card to Gen Con, I'm pretty sure. But um, yeah, it's like, you really do have to figure out what the legislation is for that place for your gathering. You have to find a location that the TO is willing to travel to. You have to, like, there's so many things and you can't do them at the same time. You're not going to book a venue before you know if a TO can even host your tournament. So these things have to happen in sequential order. So really what you guys are like saying here, when you're like, we should have known earlier, what should happen? This is a question I'm posting to you guys. You can put in the comments of the YouTube video. What should happen? Should a TO release uh, an event a month ahead of time, which is very short notice? Or should they finally get all these things in order and go, you know what? This took too long. We're canceling on the venue. TO, I'm sorry, we're canceling on you. And we're just going to wait until we have to try this another time in the future to try it again. And hopefully we get better notice. Well, or option C, they could have started earlier. I mean, this is true, but like, it's, I guess the thing when I say like people forget things all the time, we've had seasons of DBS where like they have given us plenty of notice for events. This is true. And granted, this is me. This is me giving them the benefit of the doubt. And that, that is on me. Call me a shill, do what you want. But I feel like if we've had so many cases of them giving us well more than enough notice, and then during a clearly awkward time when it comes to putting things together, we start getting all these shysty kind of moves, I feel like it's more likely that they are giving it to us whenever they can, not that they're choosing to just fuck people <laughs> who want to travel. Like, it makes them, it, it does nothing bad for them or nothing good for them to let us know this late. And like, they have let us know early before. It's like, uh, it's like the one person undefeated rule thing. People are like, Bandai needs to kill this one person undefeated rule. Like, how could they do this? How could they make such a rule? And I'm just kind of sitting here. I'm like, they do know that like, while we're sitting here for like a 12 hour event, they're like doing work and living life and going to sleep over in Japan. They don't, they don't give a fuck how long our tournaments last. You know who does give a fuck about how long our tournaments last? The judges that had to show up an hour and a half early and then still have to clean up an hour past. The judges care how long the tournament goes. The TOs care how long the tournament goes. So when you look at rules like that and you're like looking at the wrong people for why they're still in existence, like, like Bandai could just throw the mandate. They could throw the mandate and be like, we're killing the best of one rule or the undefeated rule. But that literally is kind of like almost a TO side thing. Like PPG decided they didn't want to do it in Miami and we did not do it. That's how simple it is. Like George was like, hey, yo, guess what? That one player undefeated rule? Uh-huh. Fuck it. And we just didn't use it. Yeah. Any TO could do that. <laughs> like, they choose not to because they don't want to be there from 8 a.m. to like literally like, 11 12 if it's best of three so like i just need people to understand that yes you can be upset yes you can be frustrated and these frustrations are valid but there are a lot of times 
things that either you're not looking at from a full scope, like the undefeated rule, punch a judge. Don't don't talk about punching Ben. I don't punch anybody, to be fair, but be more mad at the TF staff before you get mad at Bandai for the one-player undefeated rule. Um, when you're looking at stuff like this, understand that, yes, you needed time to plan. Yes, you need time to save. And Bandai never wants to create a tournament that just flops. That's not their intention. That sucks. That's bad publicity for their own game, and their game is their livelihood. But also understand that there are so many moving parts in the background that you will never be privy to because you're not part of the company. Like, if I'm, like, chilling at home and you guys are like, oh, are you free? And I'm like, no, I'm not free. And then, like, I'm not married, but, like, my wife leaves me. I lose my job. And I don't know. Like, I have three illegitimate children that all sprung into my life at the same time. I'm not going to tell you all that. I'm just going to be like, <laughs> yeah, I got free time. Like, and that's just going to be it. Like, you're, you're not going to know all the stuff that's going to the background because you're not in that circle that needs to know. So, like, that's just what I mean. Like, like if there's trouble getting a TO, if there's trouble getting a venue, you don't need to know all those things. And you might think, like, transparency be good, but what? be real. Be real. As far as companies go, Bandai is pretty transparent with a whole lot of stuff. And uh, we still find ways to complain. Like, we, George and I have brought it up plenty of times, but I cannot bring up a better example than just the flow of TP structure. These cards are useless. Cards become broken. This shit is awful. Cards become useless again. This shit is awful. We get thwarting. This shit is awful. Cards go bad again. Oh, my God, Bandai, get it right. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. There is a balance to be had. There is a balance to be had. But Bandai has legitimately catered to us time after time after time. And we just get mad at whatever they do. <laughs> the game's going too long. Overalms come out. The game's still going too long. <laughs> Mecha Frieza turn three kills. Oh my god, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> The games are too long. Gogeta Zeno rears his ugly head. The games are too aggravating with, like, King Vegeta. Like, oh, it, like, it takes time. But you can look at the stuff, and even if it's not in the time frame you want it to because it takes them a certain amount of time to make and then print cards, you can clearly see the shifts of these things reacting to the time frames that we complain about them. We just don't ever stop complaining. Um, so that's kind of, like, my rant on it. Yes, no card game is perfect. But you got to stop comparing card games. You really do. Um, different money is different money. Like, you guys all the time compare Konami to Bandai. And I think one thing you have to understand is that Bandai is a company that does video games. Bandai's card game company, you can almost think of it as like a child project. Like, I am fairly certain that Bandai's card department is just a smaller division of them. Whereas Konami, one of its, if not its largest part of income is Yu-Gi-Oh! So, like... There's just so many things that are like different. Like like Dragon Ball Super is not going to be what's bankrolling Bandai. No. So when it comes yeah, so when it comes to that stuff, Bandai is going to be much more likely to you know pay attention to their cash cows as a whole company, and the subdivision does what it can with what they have, and they're doing stuff like that. Like that's just that's just business sense. Like without me even being able to ask a representative, be like, hey, what's the status of this? Like, without me working there myself, any of these things, like, that's just business sense. Bandai's main meal ticket is not Dragon Ball Super, whereas Konami's main meal ticket is Yu-Gi-Oh! So if Konami has to just throw, like, a couple annual, like, just salaries at a freaking venue 
to make sure that they have the biggest tournament they can have for a specific point, they're going to do it because it's, that's, that's their stuff. That's their cash cow. So, like, please stop comparing these two. You can't even compare them. Like, first off, Konami don't listen. Bandai listens. That's it. That's that's all they. That's all like the parallels you don't need to be drawing. Like, when was the last time the community screened about a card, and it actually just got touched? If it did get touched, I bet you the set's been out for three months already, and they saw sales decline. And they said, "All right, hit it. I'm gonna <laughs> flip the switch." So like, it's kind of wild. And you guys like talk about that. Like, band like Konami's seen the card go brazy for six months, and has just now decided to hit it after it's been sold, and we've been like under fire. So yeah, it's just don't compare those things. And if I hear one more flesh and blood comparison, I just I just don't know what I'm gonna do. Like I, if, if flesh and blood is so good, go play it. And when you don't do well there either, I don't want to hear it either. <laughs> yeah, it's ah! it's it's like you said, comparing kind of just doesn't. I mean, it's basically it, it's kind of tough to compare because there's always like a lot of asterisks associated with those comparisons. Um. Like, when you compare to Konami, like, Konami is, like, like, comparing to Konami is terrible because that entire player base is, like, Stockholm Syndrome. And, like, I'm sorry to anybody who's, like, a deep Yu-Gi-Oh player. And I even said so on, like, a team talk I had uh, this weekend with the team where I said, like, people who love Yu-Gi-Oh honestly do it just because they love Yu-Gi-Oh. And whether that love is driven from, like, nostalgia as a kid to just sunk cost fallacy where you've dedicated too much of your life to it, that's basically your identity, you can't walk away from it. There are so many things that go against people trying to get into Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, game design's actually kind of ass. Um, like if you like from a game design standpoint, if you if you were to like take a like a university course on game design and like one of your like analysis pieces was like Yu-Gi-Oh, bro, dead ass your entire thesis paper would like the first sentence would be like, what the fuck? Like so so <laughs> so game design wise it's not there. Prizing for tournaments is garbage. For Konami tournaments, dog. Like, you do not play a Konami tournament, like a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament, with the hope that you're going to walk away. Plus, you do it exclusively for the clout and for just because it's a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament. That's it. Um, Konami There's does... a bit of an effect, though. There's a bit of an effect, though. The secondary market is so bananas that they <laughs> artificially inflate the value of every card worth anything to where you may actually make your money back, but not because the prizes were good, because any secret rare pull is all of a sudden 60 to like $200 because Ungo Bungo, I pulled it, I need to make money, and nobody questions the system, and so it just snowballs. <laughs> Bro, deadass, the best plus you can do is flip your deck the moment you win the tournament with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's just like, um, and Konami does not communicate with their player base at all. Uh, Master Duel dropped before their last trailer even popped off um we have no idea where that's going in terms of like master duel we don't know like anything. like the the ban list is like a just spray and pray of like i hope my deck doesn't get hit this time um <laughs> and the ban list exists solely to push metas and to push new product um so like and the power creep does as well um the power creep exists exclusively to keep on pushing out new stuff so th there are so many things for Yu-Gi-Oh player like so like i said Props to Yu-Gi-Oh players because they play the game because they love Yu-Gi-Oh. Because there are so many things that are not done properly <laughs> yeah. for the sake of that game. And the fact that the game is a big three is probably one of the big reasons it's still alive today. Is the fact that it's just been here for so damn long. It's um, it has nostalgia for us, bro. Yeah. And then um, Flesh and Blood, that's a, like, Flesh and Blood is what? An American company, right? I think they made it. 
It is. Yeah, so it's an American company. So obviously they're going to drive and be more in tune with the way that Western that uh, the you know the Western world likes these things to happen. Cash prizing tournaments, stuff like that. Those those are things that we will never be privy to playing a Bandai game. Um, and then there's the fact that Bandai is a Japanese company, which means to especially Bandai in the form of using the Dragon Ball IP, which means two things. First off, there's just some things that are not going to work as well because one, it's a licensed game. And bro, let me tell you, Funimation and Toei don't fuck around, dog. So like, I, I wholly believe that the reason we got the dates that we did for the regionals is because it was the earliest time they were literally capable of doing it because of some approval or something somewhere in the pipeline would not allow them to do so beforehand. Um, as someone who's like lived in the messaging front of companies like these, you want to get the message out and you just literally can't. Um, so working with licensors sucks. Um, then there's the fact that Japan has Dragon Ball Heroes. The Dragon Ball Super Card game will never live in the forefront of Bandai in the same vein that uh, Digimon has kind of taken over. And in the same vein that One Piece is probably going to once that ends up landing. Uh, why? Because of that very fact that they're never going to cannibalize heroes. Um, there's a whole promotional anime associated to it. Um, the it makes bank. It's has it has history in that country. Somehow, <laughs> somehow, somehow. So, um, so on that realm, it's just they'll never be that level of commitment. Um, but there's so much that goes for a game. You know, Bandai does communicate, like you know, Chris said, the web and flow of TPs just goes to show that. Um, uh, and I'd still argue, like mechanic. I love this game mechanically. Like I've played so many games. And mechanically, I still think this is the best one. Um, you know, between Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, Hearthstone, uh, Pokemon, um, you know, uh, I haven't tested out Fab yet, but Eternal. Um, You're good. Um. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, it's just, so it's just mechanically uh, super intense. And we have some of the best car, like, like our SRs and SPRs are honestly like beyond this world. I think they're incredibly gorgeous. So. Our our SPRs look like other games' chase cards. <laughs> like, right? It's not, like, it's like, not even close. <laughs> so um, I think there's a ton going on for the game, and it, it is tough to compare. I understand the desire to compare, because at the end of the day, card game players are very transitional. I, uh, most people who play card games, odds are they've played multiple card games and then have eventually landed on the one that they like best. So naturally, there's going to be that tendency or desire to try and compare because, well, you know, at the end of the day, if this game really is ass, I totally could just move to another card game. And at the end of the day, I'm slinging cards. Um, yeah. So, so there is that aspect to want to compare. Um, but it is very tough because the situations are very different, especially with our specific game where uh, there are a ton of restrictions around them. Um, not to say, I, I, I never want to say, though, like, yo, everyone should, like, shut up and stop complaining because at the end of the day, Bandai aren't our friends. They are a company that we buy a product from. And there is that back and forth in which they do deserve critique if something that the community doesn't like isn't told. But I will say it has felt like a long time since like the community felt like Bandai has done right. And I don't necessarily agree with that because I think there is a lot that Bandai has done some pretty good stuff with. So um, it's a give and take. And I, I know it's a hard place to balance because I think a lot of people wouldn't complain if they weren't passionate and didn't love the game. And I think it does come from a place of passion and love. And it's just, how do you find that balance? And the, the tough part is, a lot of what people demand for or ask for, you won't see until three to six months down the line, minimum, just because of the way these things work. Whether it's like oh, with a set design, 
or with the way that uh, organized play is structured or whatnot, it takes a lot of time to get the shit in place. Um, so it's, it's a tough call. I mean, and like I said, we haven't gotten the whole message yet. While, you know, those are the IRLs for Q2, there's the offlines, which I presumably, I mean, I'm staying positive. Um, there's going to be a good number of them, which will be hopefully great. Um, and we've heard murmurs that even uh, in the summer, uh, at least in Canada, apparently there's going to be multiple IRL events, which that's down because we haven't had multiple IRLs in Canada. And, you know, supposedly, but from the rumors I'm hearing, we haven't had multiple IRLs in Canada since like four years ago. Uh, and even then the events were dwindling from like four to three to like two. And then like we barely had one Niagara. So um, I think your place is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm, I'm remaining positive. I think there are some things that are coming down line. Have things been a little bit slow this year? Yeah, but we've seen that across, you know, lots of things with Bad Night. That could be lots of reasons. Um, they are releasing the new One Piece game, which means, you know, maybe their team's focus is oriented towards that to an aspect. Um, which means that that team is now, you know, the TCG sub department is now handling uh, three different IPs, three different card games. Um, and we've seen slowdown not only with Dragon Ball, but we've seen slowdowns in Digimon as well. Um, right? Like they had Fest just like we did, but uh, it took like a world for, uh, it took a month for Worlds to happen. And even then, Worlds announcement didn't happen until a week before Worlds even happened. Uh, and then prizing wasn't showcased until the day before Worlds was uh, live streamed. Um, so in general, it's just it's been a very weird first three months for Bandai as a whole, and that That's could be, enough. and that could be because of restructuring. That could be because now they're juggling three card games. Who knows? Um, so it's I think they're in a transitionary period now. Whether that's for the good or you know, whether it's for the benefit or downfall of the game, I think there's still you know things that remain to be seen. But upside, set eighteen looks like it's gonna be baller. Um, that ad video, now I think it's that way because it's a ad video for YouTube, which means that may count as a view, but that, that video has 2 million views, you know? So like, they're advertising, which is something that like, hey, so I, I think they do listen. While I do think that it would have been nice to have more of a heads up on these regionals. Views. Yeah, it's got 2 million views. The, the Bro, Dragon Ball... 2 million views and we ain't got over 10k subs? Alright, y'all slapping. <laughs> I'm retiring from content creation for this game. Y'all, <laughs> y'all hurt me. I could be eating right now. I could be eating right now off my channel. Two million? Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sick. <laughs> I'm sick. I don't even know that many people like this game. I'm sick. I don't think there is, but I, I think, you know, hey, if you embed the video everywhere, it'll get views. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's definitely fair. Um <sighs> And they, they kept it extra mysterious, and I'm just going to die on this hill. We, we see that we have Gamma 1 and Gamma 2 in blue, which, by the way, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I, I think that auto-confirms that blue is going to be the last color released. Probably. Um, Stretch and, it out uh, as long as they can until the movie stuff gets closer. Exactly. And because Gamma 1 and Gamma 2 are thrown out here, like everybody knows there's going to be like a third act of villain. But the fact that they put Gamma 1 and Gamma 2 outside of all the other superhero cards, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely <laughs> another villain that's getting a leader. Um, on top of that, uh, I think it's very interesting that when you see the Z Awaken cards, um, I mean, we can see that Goku is clearly going from his set 1 to Ultra Instinct. Vegeta, um, I actually did a lineup on my channel. Vegeta's character frame actually gets buffer when he goes from the uh, Super Saiyan Blue to the Silhouette. So I think it's safe to say that's evolution. 
But uh, Gohan and Piccolo's silhouettes do not change. And this could mean nothing. But the fact that Gohan has the same hair in his ultimate form as he does in that Super Saiyan form. And his gi is the exact same, minus some shoulder undershirt sleeves. And the fact that Piccolo's new form has the exact same shape as him. It's just the color and the texture of his skin are different. I don't think it's that far-fetched to think that the Z, like, leader, or the Z things, the Z cards for Zenkai cards for Piccolo and Gohan could be from the movie. I don't think that's that far-fetched. I think, yeah, sounds about right to me. Especially since we do know that Piccolo is getting a new form, a new whatever, unlocked abilities, who knows what. Piccolo about to eat. Um, (laughs) It's wild. It's crazy. Piccolo will get a new form before he... uh, I guess he's getting the deck. I was about to say Pickles is gonna get a new form before he gets more than like five cards. But yeah, I mean I guess that works. That works. I'm looking. Set 18 is probably gonna be heat, and we're just so ready to be out of the Unison Warrior block. Yeah. Um the real question for me is that being out of the Unison block, will that stop us from getting Dragon Ball Hero themes? No. God no. Okay. I don't I don't think so. I mean, like, here's the thing. Um and and just to put a cap on anyways keep your eyes out we're probably going to get some online regionals announced within the next couple of weeks so hey um but uh yeah i don't i don't think so right because at the end of the day heroes is the largest asset pool that we're pulling from right like i don't even know if our game even gets original assets um i I legit don't know i'd like i i would need to like Go through the entirety of what's available for heroes and see if there's anything that they've used that we that, that they haven't used that we have. But, now that you mention it, I don't think so. I yeah. pulled assets that match assets from here off of like Google, and then they I've seen a couple assets that have even been from Doken, but maybe Doken got them from heroes. So like I really don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, they they all share like an asset pool effectively, and the largest generator of those at new assets and adding them into the asset pool that all of these different. Uh, games, Doken, Legends, what have you, can pull from, they're the ones that add the most into it. Um, so I don't think our game will ever stray away from having heroes. Now, is it going to be like the entire set is heroes themed? Kind of like what it's been for like over half of the Unison Warrior block? Okay, maybe, probably not. Um, Another. Uh, yeah, it'd be nice if the set wasn't focused around some kind of heroes, you know, whatever, hubbubaloo. Um, but I think heroes will always have an undertone in just about most sets that we have these days. You know, maybe less for the next couple, especially since there's the movie coming out. And, you know, when the Broly movie came out, we had like three sets that had a large focus on that, which pulled away from the hero stuff. Um, but I think when you get away from the hype of the movie and us pushing it as much as they probably will in the next three sets, if not more, um, odds are that. Um, that will go back to leaning into heroes for a lot of things. So we'll probably get those undertones in there. Yeah, I love to say, and actually something that kind of makes me sad is um, from what I can see, and this could just be like conjecture, but it really does feel like uh, Dragon Ball Heroes is pulling punches. Like we are getting some Dragon Ball Heroes things like Dark Broly and, um, you know, like Gogeta Zeno, but like, there are just things that like we have not gotten that were massive pulls for heroes. And I think they're just trying to keep it because it's exclusive to heroes and they don't want things being taken away from it. But like, for instance, we've had a whole deck on Gogeta Zeno, but 
how can blue Vegito Zeno is actually pretty heat. Like as far as like that goes, like I don't really like these what ifs, but how can blue Vegito? I would, if that deck was viable, I would play that deck. Um, <laughs> like, uh, oh yeah, by the way, like when they, when they freaking release half this stuff, like, do you know how many people love Super Saiyan 4? Do you know how many people loved the fact that they got a new version of Super Saiyan 4, which was totally unoriginal, that was just the super, the god ritual being used on the Super Saiyan 4, turning them into Limit Breaker Super Saiyan 4? The point is, like, pink apes are actually pretty balling. And I'm not talking about NFTs. Like, this is, this is actually a really cool transformation that would draw people. If we had a, a secret rare that was Limit Breaker SS4, Goku and Vegeta doing the double Dragon Fist, it doesn't matter what that card could be commemorative photo on a battle card. And people would still, that would be a chase card. Like that card would drop nothing less than $600 off release. Like it's not close. So I don't know what they're doing because there's a whole lot of stuff like limit. Roly has limit breaker or some crap like that. Like there's a lot of stuff that they could be doing right now that they've suspiciously kept out of the sets and what, what they put in the sets. Like, I don't, I honestly don't care about Agents of Destruction. Like, it's kind of cool that all these nobody villains are coming back to do some things, but there's a plethora of DB hero related leaders and decks that I would throw out the window for a chance at Xeno Vegito or, you know, Limit Breaker SS4. It's just things like that. We haven't gotten a food deck. How have we not gotten a food yeah, leader? Yeah, I, I am shocked that we haven't gotten a food leader at this point. He's cooler than half the things they've released for Dragon Ball Heroes. Foo's on like 19 cars, got no leader. True. But I think that's, that's what I mean. I think they're keeping certain things for themselves for the most part because it's exclusive and it's Dragon Ball Heroes content. I don't, I don't know. It's kind of weird. And it's like, as for, you know, the uh, Dragon Ball Heroes kind of taking away from things people were like well, why can't these games coexist why can't they and i think it has to be delicate because Jap- uh japanese culture in general they love their competitive ccgs they love them there's hobby stores all over the place that's why you can go over to like Yu-Gi-Oh sites like uh ocg thunder and you can see like per week there's like a gajillion Yu-Gi-Oh locals or at least there used to be before the pandemic and um i am fairly certain that if dragon ball super had been released when, you know, it had been released here. I'm not saying Heroes would die, but one of these games is played in an arcade machine, and one of these games can be found at your local hobby store where you were already going for Vanguard or Digimon or Yu-Gi-Oh! or anything else, except it's Dragon Ball, which is one of the biggest IPs over in the country. And I'm fairly certain that a competitive Dragon Ball TCG would definitely do some damage to the numbers of people buying heroes and yeah. so that's direct competition and it's not saying heroes would die it's just that dragon ball super fits right in line with things that people already go ape for over there so i think that's a huge factor in their choices to not advertise it the way they do and their choices to not localize it the way they have it um it's just definitely kind of a power play in terms of what currently makes money what they sink things into and it's kind of like weird like if i want to go even deeper into the meta about it since we don't have a promotional anime for this game, like if they just if heroes died, how many people would actually just lose jobs? <laughs> like flat <laughs> out. Like you got you got designers, you've got programmers for the game, you got the, you got all the team that works on the video game, but then you also have the team that literally works on the promotional anime. And like if this all of a sudden just dropped off the face of the earth, I'm like, actually, people are getting hurt. <laughs> like there are people that are getting hurt. Yeah, hundred percent. 
but that's why we need our own promotional anime. We need a video Ooh. game. Let's go. Online. I mean, I'd be down. I don't see it, but I'd be down. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine Goku defeating in a promotional ad? Goku defeats Vegeta and Vegeta gets mad saying the only reason why Goku won is because his most powerful form is already in the anime. Bruh. And then just storming <laughs> off with his deck. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, it wouldn't be wrong. Like, just no. wait until I get Ultra Ego cards. Like, pick up deck, <laughs> pick up play mat, storm out. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> There's the, the IP lends itself so well, but then also so not to the entire genre. It, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. What's next on the docket, sir? Uh, so, moving on from the regional talk, which again, always keep an eye on those social medias for when Bandai does announce more into organized play. Uh, reveals. Uh, so, we've been jumping into set 17 Ultimate Squad reveals. Uh, starting off with red uh, last week and now jumping into black this week. So, Looking into the first red archetypes, the first one is uh, Sun Goku, but effectively is the entire Grand Tour squad. Um, and the entire archetype um, is very thematic in that not only do you start with a 15k spaceship unison on board, um, but effectively the entire archetype plays around filling in the spaceship, having people go into the spaceship. So you're putting your Saiyans under the unison to then bump up its markers, which also has Empower Red 10. Um, you have a bunch of spirit boost abilities. You're you're playing cards from under the spaceship. So uh, lots of things for this. Oh, and then it's plus zero is actually up potentially a plus three. So <laughs> um, so it's it's got a lot going for it. Um, and the the one thing I will say about this archetype before like we get like because I haven't done a deep deep dive into the cards. Um, but the one thing I will say, bro, about like what I've been seeing this uh, this set is like I'm telling you. There was a one designer or the head head compadre of uh, the design squad as they went into their meeting, puts his puts his uh, foot on the on the discussion table. He's got those Nimbus socks just rimming right there, <laughs> and he's like, "Gentlemen, nobody's playing in power. Nobody's playing spirit boost. Gotta knock that shit out to eleven for this archetype." <laughs> I give you power in. <laughs> oh god. So uh you know we've had empower and spirit boost have been very lackluster keywords for the entirety of the unison block. They tried to push them for boost and they never really got there aside from a couple of cards. Um so I think this set they're really gonna be looking to try and push that as kind of like like this is the sunset set. This is the final set we're going to get of the block. So they're probably going to push, uh, you know, hold no punches when it comes to pushing every mechanic, um, as well as just really seeing where unisons can go. So um, the entire archetype relies around just getting guys into the spaceship and then playing cards off of that spaceship. Um, and of course, the older GT stuff is playable as well from this archetype, which is really cool. So, hey, if uh, you've been meaning to play some triple flash, um, and some combination attack pans like the good old days. This is as good as a time as any more than likely. So uh, it looks cool. I've heard good things about the archetype. I like everyone knows I don't play test. Um, but from what I'm seeing, the archetype, I'm hyped that GT has come back. It's also good um, 
preemptive support for more GT because we do know that we're going to get a pan in set 18 um, with the uh, reboot deck there. So, I mean, already backloading some support into that R-Type more than likely with this one, which is super cool. So uh, it looks thematic. Um, it plays very thematically, especially with the whole spaceship motif. It looks like you're playing solid cards, well-statted cards, good numbers. Um, and, the and, the and the one thing I liked about Yellow Turtles was the fact that you started with a unison on board. Now, of course, in yellow, that doesn't mean as much as it does for other decks, but there's something to be said about a 15k turn one unison that just kind of chills there. So, um, overall, I think I, I, it looks decent so far. I mean, I know that you fiddle around with cards a little bit more and you go deep dive into those. I, like, I don't know about your take on it, but, you know, so far the GT uh, Grand Cruise deck looks pretty okay. Well, you see, in the hours I spend not sleeping, attempting to outrun self-loathing, and uh, making content for you guys, the listeners, the subscribers. I have indeed done little uh, workarounds to uh, the GT deck. Uh, a couple things I put out is um, what am I? Now I would say that the GT deck's power level is indicative of uh, some future hits on the list, but we literally watched them make Soul Striker light. Like, just straight-up sugar-free Soul Striker and then not touch Soul Striker. So, I can't attest to this. But I, I what I'm going to say is, if, if King Piccolo and U7 Goku are the exact same levels of power by the next set, there's literally... Uh, I got some bad news for UGT players. I don't know... I don't know what to tell you, but um, basically, yeah, um, yeah. That that's what I gotta say about that one. You, it's interesting in the fact that you have a, you definitely have a, um, you have a second hand under your unison. That's essentially what's going on. You're putting sands under there, and if you build your deck right, you're only putting the sands under there that can be taken back out. And you've got most of these cards that play themselves, but then you've got a Pan SCR that'll play a Goku and a Trunks. And this is all fine and dandy. This is pretty cool. However, there's a couple things that are a little wild. Um, one, you have to have Red Sands to constantly put under your leader. And it only constitutes as a second hand if these Sands are archetype specific because these Sands all pull themselves back out. If it's not R-Type specific, you're putting a card under and you're losing that card, which isn't the second hand. That's you just kind of negging. Um, and that means that you do have to, like most of these Bandai decks, play a whole lot of the R-Type for it to be remotely good. Now, that being said, the R-Type does have some legs. You're putting out some pressure for cheap. But one thing that is kind of an issue is, uh, and it's not actually an issue, it's it's actually the solution, but to make it the solution, they need to start hurting certain kinds of decks. And I know people are like, uh, 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 like don't hurt things, don't ban things, but the fact of the matter is, Goku is a good deck. Like, U7 Goku is a good deck. But where it loses to King Piccolo is the sense that Goku still has to pay energy for shit. <laughs> and King Piccolo is a freemium deck. And GT is almost the same way. Every single car costs one energy. Some cars cost two energy. And so at the end of the day, 
there will be turns and corners where you just get outpaced by a deck that is not bound by frivolous mechanics like actually paying to play cards. And so that puts you in a weird kind of binding space. Um, that being said, this deck definitely has legs. I just have to inform you that if I ever catch anybody trying to show me a deck list and you've only got one GT spaceship, you're trolling or you're just like, you're trying to just like make some weird funky statement. Because if this deck ever becomes tier one, Kai, secret rare, becomes tier one. And if your unison gets warped and you don't have another unison, that's <laughs> game. That is absolute game. The entire gimmick of your deck is gone. Like, just pack it up. You officially, what you're playing a, a vanilla leader. Like, it's awful. So, yeah, two is definitely the move if anybody's looking to build um, on the off chance. Even if, you know, Kai isn't in the meta, you don't want to, like, really be in a game where you're in control and then you just get kai on turn three and you're like, what? Why aren't you playing Vegeta? <laughs> Why aren't you playing Pan? Oh, no, 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 no. And then just lose. So that's that. Uh, when it comes to Metal Real, though, and by the way, guys, as per usual, whenever we talk about things, I generally just release videos the day before. So um, I have the archetype breakdowns where I go into untap. I show you a deck list. I explain my choices. I go into untap. I have them on both these decks. And tomorrow or whenever we actually have all the spoilers for Black, I'll be doing the same thing there. But, um, yeah, in short, like, you're really looking at, for the Machine Mutants, a deck that, unfortunately, needed to be tested by different people. <laughs> and I've said this a bunch of times. Um, I agree with Aspira. I think that Dragon Ball has the best card mechanics out of any game. But the only reason why I put Magic a step above is because Magic has people that test. People that actually know how to play the game competitively who test. Because... I tried my best to work with Rodo, and after making a deck list, tweaking the deck list, making the video, tweaking it a little bit more after that, because I was like, am I missing something? I came to the conclusion that uh, two lines of different text on Rodo could have made Rodo an absolute powerhouse. And those two lines are, uh, Rodo needs to summon that one drop from the deck, not the hand. Because his turns are so tight. That is not even funny. Like it's uh it's absolutely not funny. Like you you were really dependent on that opening hand. Um you can awaken turn one going second if you have two cards in hand, but they both are one drops. So once again, you're kind of flooding your deck build with the archetype cards. But again, if it was just from deck, you could actually open up one card and be able to go off. Like, just absolutely go off for the turn. And that would be wonderful. However, because it's like this, you have to open up with a two-card minimum hand, and then you have to... They have to be specific, and then you can go into your other stuff. But the other part about him is he awakens to six. And there's no card in the entire archetype nor the previous Machine Mutant stuff that works with him that can take a single life. So you awaken outside of testing the op range which also is kind of whack because no super combo that works with him does anything at that life total. So I found in multiple games, your opponent can just shit on your entire field and never touch your life, and your super combos are dead until they want to start attacking you. And you awaken down to six with no way to take your life, so you can't even really reliably run testing the opposition. So when your unison is played, it's generally open to be swung at, even with its great protection skill. Um, it's just bad. 
it's not like bad as in like unplayable. It could be a fun locals deck, but it really sucks because if I was on that team or if I was on like a board where they were just like, hey, here are these cards. You want to try them out for me and then see what's up? I would have immediately told them, this guy needs to awaken that to five. But you cannot hope to, this card, this deck taps out almost every turn. He cannot be sitting here going down to six. Like your awakening turn should feel like your strongest turn. And instead it just feels like a mediocre turn where you're extremely weak on the backswing. Um, then you need to be able to play from the decks that the opening hands aren't too tight. Red is such a good color in terms of generic cards. Red is like, I think only second to yellow in terms of how much generic heat and coverage is in the color. And actually for this format, red might be above yellow because Vegito Unison poops on almost every single deck in the format right now as it is. But, uh, yeah, this, this deck can't utilize good red cards because it's so archetype dependent and you can't hold any of them in your opening hand. You have to open up Rizu and um, you have to open up, uh, sorry, Ribbit and Nezu. You have to open up those two. If you open up those two, you're awakening turn one if you're going second. Uh, if you're going first, you're awakening turn two, but you're tapping out to make sure you get your whole chain out. It's, it's just really weird, bro. That's all I got to say. It's these small things like that that just make me go like, jag, dag, dag, did anybody play this? Like, you guys put the effects together. I get that. But did anybody sit down and actually try to play this? Yeah, the that, that's the biggest thing I'd say about the general dil, uh, <clears throat> real deck. All right. Is, All right. Uh, is the fact that <laughs> um, it feels like it's just way too scripted. Um, and not in a good way, right? Like, it, it feels like go tanks level of scripted without the like insane support or ceiling that go tank green go tanks had um so like not only are your turns going to look very very tight but you're in a color that can't really afford to tap out and when you do you need to have a very dominant board state to do so um so it's it's just tough but i will say the the saving grace is that they have some really cool singular cards um, I think the new uh, Planet M2 is a pretty dope card. Um, I, I think that, you know, for this archetype itself, uh, obviously doesn't do too much uh, elsewhere. But in general, that's pretty cool. Um, I think some of the SRs are pretty dope, especially that Baby Unison. Uh, yes. I, I think that card's hot. That card's hot. I mean, it's, uh, it's a 10K. It's a three specified cost red Unison, which three specified costs are very... Very popular right now in red, especially since Videl has been doing an extreme amount of work. Um, it's a 10k unison, but when you plus one, you get to draw a card. So right off the rip, just drawing a card is always good. And then you get to unconditionally remove one of your opponent's battle cards and put it under the unison. Also poggers. Um, which means like outside of barrier, you're basically able to remove anything, which is insane. It is absolutely crazy. And then you get 10k for the turn. So he's a 20k swing. Uh, additionally, if you're tapped out, your leader gets an extra free 1k, which means your leader is now 16k, which means your opponent can't deal damage to you unless he combos um, for, you know, as if he's like a 15k swing deck. Awesome. It'd be it, hand tax. Yeah, it's 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 effectively a free fi yeah, free combo every single turn unless your opponent deals with it. And if they try to deal with the Unison because he's just a 10k, um, there is the fact that maybe has an additional permanent that replaces the damage by just bottom decking or getting rid of one of the cards that are under him. So the longer that baby sticks around, and if you're not able to actually start getting cards, uh, getting rid of cards, him, he's going to be impossible to remove. So um, while I do think some people may fall into a trap and not play this card correctly, I do think this card is like super, super good. 
Yep. And if your deck sucks as a general Rildo player, just hope you face a lot of Goku mirrors. And while you're still probably going to get absolutely folded, you can suck up their cards and then play them from under your unison using <laughs> your deck. So uh, that's very thematic. And I guess it's kind of funny. <laughs> like, just imagine you somehow like violent raise their eight drop and then you suck up their eight drop. You just play their eight drop. Mm. Unfortunately, though, you probably won't have the spirit boost sustain half the effects. But um, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, moving on from that archetype, then we got uh, the return of multicolor super combos, um, some of which are incredibly good. Uh, some of which are situational, um, but in the right situations could be a great tech two of. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of them, um, but I think some highlights. Kefla could be kind of cool. It's able to, it's removal uh, post-combat for a rested battle card could be interesting. Um, you have the red-blue one, which is effectively a 20k combo, depending on what is attacking you. Um, you get to neg something 5k, you get to neg something else. You get to neg, uh, if you, have, so, okay. If you have blue energy, you get to neg a battle card or unison card by 5k for the turn, which is really solid, especially since trunk unison is huge. Um, and then, uh, so that's if you have red. And then if you have blue, you get another five minus 5k to a leader or unison uh, for the battle. So no matter what, a unison will get minus 10k if you're a dual color deck. And then alternatively, you can give it minus five to a battle card or a leader, depending on what's on the swing, which effectively always makes this at minimum a 15 card super combo. Um, which is great. It, it doesn't do anything else than that. You don't draw a card, but uh, which is kind of why I don't think you run these as a four of, but nevertheless, it's a very cool ability to have. And then the last one that I think is huge is Android 17 and 18, which is blue and green. And you can untap a blue green multicolor. So effectively, a Beerus for the archetype Beerus super combo. Uh, I think blue green is going to love this card. Uh, Android 16, having more free ways to untap to be able to arrival some shenanigans, incredibly busted. Um, so I, th I think those are probably going to be the most impactful ones, but they're all, they're all cool. I mean, Vegeta is a little bit like Keck W. I hope you're playing Cybermen. Um, <laughs> um, Cell is fine. Um, he's good for like successor decks, kind of. Um, oh, he's like a Nappa, basically. You get like two super combos, which is kind of nice. Um, and then Beerus is a 5k that could potentially be a 15k combo, which is kind of interesting. So, I these are very interesting, but I'm kind of like, I don't think they're as generically good as the old ones. I will say that, yeah, much. but the old ones were snap. Like, honestly, the people that made um Universal Onslaught they were just like on a whole different level of power creep, like. Like, the power level that came in that set still hasn't been really seen in full force till this day again. Like, it takes two to three sets for certain decks to feel as powerful as, like, most of the set nine decks did upon release. <laughs> like, True. it's, uh... That man has been locked. He is, whoever that designer is, he's the forbidden one. <laughs> he's, uh, he's been banished. Because... Yeah, they they really don't. They it's it. The phrase is actually there. They do not make them like they used to. <laughs> they um, do not. Uh, with the exception of Napa, and even Napa had its. Well, actually, I guess Weiss. Weiss was probably the weakest one back then. Because, but Napa wasn't a color combination that wasn't really being used too much back then. But like Beerus and freaking Zamasu. Oh man, and Beerus Androids, and Zamasu and, and Androids. Those were busted, dude. Like. 
it was just like why <laughs> like these are so strong <laughs> like huh like and for me it was crazy because uh as you guys have probably known if you've been enough on these podcasts you've been on my channel i took a hiatus from uh after from after set six release until the release of set 11 so you can imagine like i left during destroyer kings when i came back to a a universal onslaught pre-release and saw these like super combos i was like hey yo i was like hey what is this like what this is insane and you look at the way these go and it's like beerus is kind of like i won't put him on keg w tier but beerus is used in a very very specific set of decks yes zamasu though zamasu is out here going crazy it doesn't matter if you're blue or yellow you're just like you know what let me just throw one zamasu in there let me throw two zamasus in there and that card gets you caught tripping so often you're like mm, i should sequence correctly and swing with a battle card yeah look i'm a combo out of that and then uh it's zamasu so tap your leader down eat penis and you're like huh okay well Maybe I should sequence incorrectly normally, but correctly versus yellow and swing with my leader. Okay, Nimbus. Yep. Or Forbidden Power at this point. And you're just like, hmm. So you're saying if you're holding both these cards, there's no way I start this turn without getting reamed. Correct. And you're like, all right, as long as I'm clear on that. <laughs> both doors <laughs> led to like a drastic drop off. I just, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't tripping. No, you're not tripping. It's broken. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which which play is the wrong play? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> literally how it is playing against the, like Zamasu Super Combo. Like it punishes you. It literally punishes you for sequencing correctly. Correct. Uh, um so yeah, so those are super dipe, uh dope. Um my predictions, they nope, will dipe is, dipe is new word. Hi, <laughs> dipe, dope. Uh so uh my prediction, these are likely gonna be candidates for getting SPRs. Um, we've seen them do that with non SR cards in the past. And I do think that these will probably get that same treatment as well. I will be upset. Nah, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think any of these are S or SPR worthy. I will, I will. Be... I mean, at least a 17 and 18, it's a Beerus, but for like blue green, which is a color that would utilize it the same way that red, red, red blue does. Hear me out. Hear me out. The mm -hmm. moment I could get into the set, cause you guys have seen the box art, you guys, uh, especially if you play Dokken. You guys know what box art was on that top, or what art was used for that box topper. You guys should see that. That is a, uh, we have seen that there is a Gohan Unison, a Super Saiyan 2 Gohan Unison. And uh, that the, the box art in the commercial, you can see that the topper is an SPR version from a very iconic scene. If I ever, if I ever pull a green, red Vegito Super Combo SPR when that could have been Gohan, <laughs> y'all need to watch out the pre-release because i am extending my arm and i'm slapping the nearest person like immediately homicide will smith like it's just it's i hope these aren't sprs they they will feel immediately bad because none of these are going to be worth anything maybe it could be i mean who knows i'm I'm just going based off of what the things they've done in the past but it very much could not come to pass for sure oh no i, I feel like it can happen i'm just saying <laughs> i'd rather yeah, yeah i feel you how to turn your box into an uber neg open one <sighs> moving away from that generic support uh toa is the first black deck that has been showcased this week um i think she's a meme so her entire archetype is based around playing 5k tokens um she attacks and she plays a token she doesn't draw cards 
Um, she can't awaken until she's either at three life or has a unison card specified cost of three in play. Um, on her awaken side, she draws and then plays a token. Um, and then you can discard a cannon card from your hand to have two more tokens. Now, these have 5k combo, so you're effectively pitching a card to have 10k combo. But, um, and then she, there's a Mira who can then give one of your skillless cards blocker. And then the archetype kind of plays around playing skillless cards in your deck. So it's a skillless deck that plays tokens is effectively kind of like where it's wrapping up to be. <laughs> like, I don't... Sounds mighty green. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, I don't... I don't know. I mean, I, I guess... I mean, it's not like Black really needs help at the moment, so I don't totally, like, disagree with it. But, like, I just... Like, honestly, I'm reading this archetype, and I'm like, what the... Like I don't. <laughs> so yeah, I mean you'll have a lot of combo power, but the first, like, bro, your opponent secret IDs you, and you're gonna feel like the stupidest player on the planet. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know how to feel about this archetype. Like, um, like, so real quick, just refresh my memory. You have eighty tokens on the board, and your opponent plays secret identity. Bro, they're all fucking god. All of them. All, all of them. Every single one. All right. So this is the problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the problem. But um, mm. all right, guys. This this is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I don't see it. I mean, the Unison's, like, kind of cool in that it has two plus one abilities, um, one of which is a draw and, like, warp on your opponent's battle cards, assuming you have a token on board to, like, kill to do it. So, like, it's fine. Like, it's, I, I get it. I don't believe in it. The hottest part about this archetype. I don't believe in it. <laughs> the hottest part about this archetype is the Awakened Toa, but, like, that's just purely based on art. So, I don't know. Um, so there is a little kind of weird thing about this, all right? Um, couple things we already know there are some cards that are going to put out, uh, like we we know the poutine, okay? We know the poutine that came out last set, and before poutine was seen as a monstrous card, but the only issue is that it creates one token itself that you're probably going to burn the turn you summon it. And then the only other way you can get tokens is by, you know, the uh, counter negate. And to be completely real, if you play that and don't block with it that turn, you probably played it incorrectly. Like, you're supposed to soak up two attacks with that card. Mm. So the issue before was Poutine was a great weapon. No ammo. Well, now, <laughs> there's a whole lot of ammo. True. Uh, you... It like I never thought I'd say this, but it is gonna you're gonna be having it is a priority now to get rid of Poutine. Because if you don't get rid of Poutine, Poutine's swinging on you two times per turn. And I don't believe she's unique. And while she's swinging on you multiple times a turn, she's also drawing. So Poutine by herself will be harassment that gets under violent rays plus an extra draw. And you'll be getting to turns where your opponent We'll turn a card sideways. Like, let me see if I can pull up Poutine right now to make sure. Does she, is she unique? I don't believe so. I I'm just trying so. to make sure before I make an I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, so let me just look at this for two seconds. 
you're going to be getting to a turn where, yes, granted, Poutine is the magical number of 15, I believe, where, you know, you don't want her to, like, she's easy to get removed. She's just straight up easy to get removed, unfortunately. However, Poutine is at, in effect, and I'm getting there right now, don't rush me, blah, blah, blah. Nobody's rushing me, but I <laughs> does, does Yeah, so it doesn't have unique from what I'm seeing. All right, so it doesn't have unique. So the thing that Poutine's going to do that's kind of funny here is she's going to be able to come out, all right, um, and then you're going to want to evolve into her, and there's a whole evolve chain. Or you can dark over them into her. So there's multiple ways to get her out. However, every single turn, if you do not remove her from the game, she's going to draw a card and swing at you for 25 and then 15 if they don't want to block with it. And there's going to be so many tokens on the board, I'm not sure if you're going to want to be that defensive and block with it. But imagine opening up to a turn and uh, being on your, like, your turn three, their turn three, and they have like you know two of these out. That's four attacks and two cards. Their leader turns sideways and makes the ammo for you to be able to do some of this stuff. And that's just kind of crazy to me. Like, that's a very powerful interaction. Now, granted, it can be taken down, but we need to see what else comes in this set. Because if poutine is like the standard for effects that are going to be working off of tokens, we may have some really, really powerful cards that are going to be working off these tokens. Because I would like to think that not even the, uh, in their infinite wisdom, the Bandai dev team can uh, believe that skillless and 5k tokens are going to carry a deck any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um... Uh, it remains to be seen. I think I think there's some cool stuff there that you can do, but I don't know. It's the first reveal for Black. We'll see what the other stuff comes to showcase and comes to pass in terms of helping it out. There's some cute stuff, but but we'll see if it comes together. At the end of the day, I mean, like her uh, Toa's awakened side can also turn the unison into like a 30k double striker, which isn't nothing. Um, so like th there's stuff there. I just <laughs> there's a lot of ways to deal with that stuff too. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what comes to pass in terms of the archetype and what the rest of the... Do we know what the other black archetype is? Uh, uh, there's another black leader. There's yeah. One. Okay, so there you go. So it's the one. So presumably should have enough room to be able to spread its wings. Obviously because, you know, it's only one because the other colors will take up more space. But even with the other colors taking up more space, it should allow for the archetype to kind of be able to spread a little bit wider than typically. So we'll see where it leads on that front. And that's it for the reveal. So, so far, pretty good. Um, I don't hate anything I've seen so far. I I'm not inspired by any of the decks so far, but, like, I think the GT stuff looks cool. Um, I think the red unison coming out of the General Rildo deck is cool. And, I mean, you know, the multicolor stuff is dope. It's extra multicolor support and multicolor is some of my favorite things in the game. And the black, so far, Toa seems kind of a meme, but, I mean, there's some interesting discussions to be had in terms of, like, the things it can do at the very least. So. Yeah. So with that said, those were all of our main topics for today. We'll be jumping into the SC mailbag. And of course, guys, if you guys have any questions that you'd like us to answer on air, you can tweet at me at TV with the hashtag SC mailbag or put the question in the SC mailbag category on the Discord server and I will, we will answer your questions on air. This first one coming from at Melon was taken. What is an archetype that you feel is just barely not strong enough to compete? And what cards would you want to see added in it in order to make it competitive? Hashtag SC mailbag. 
sweet, what a sweet summer child, because you <laughs> think that this is just one or two. This is <laughs> this is actually 80% of the archetypes that are printed in the game, my boy. Like, or my gal, depending on who you are. I don't know who you are, but um true. There that are means- most, <laughs> most of them are dead, like a day a dollar short day late. Like most of them are right there, but not there. Yep. Uh, they say for me it's set 13 blue gohan it always feels like it needs more to do with the two drop card um i swear to god if you say red gohan i'm gonna come at you through the screen <laughs> all right look i gotta work harder to pull off my wins okay i have to work so hard to get wins of that deck when it should be easier all right it should be easier the deck is undertuned. <laughs> it's one drop needs barrier all right well, now they're over there. Like, look, piano stays on the field all day, but I, but one drop Gohan can't have barrier. Okay, <laughs> nice card, bro. Yeah, is, um, that, is, is that your pick? Is that where you're going with Red Gohan? <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the meme pick. Honestly, there's so many. General Rildo. Like I said, I just discussed it right then and there. General Rildo could have had two lines changed on his card, and he would be not even two lines changed, a single sentence and one number on his card and he would actually be a viable leader all you just need to do with that leader to make him viable is play a one drop red machine mutant from your hand or deck you just add or deck and then when this card awakens uh or you can put three things under a sigma underneath the leader draw one untap one take your life down to five and not six and that leader would go from uh, law locals to i'd actually consider testing this leader in an open format um other cards that just feel like they're not quite there yet um like i said this is how bandai builds most of their archetypes some are i don't I, i'm starting to feel like archetypes aren't built with power levels in mind some of them are just accidentally better than others that sounds but about right i feel like they make all these gimmicks and just certain gimmicks get there like they made king piccolo and they were like lol start at six life lol come off the top four free all cycle through your life and then somebody was like hey your life is like a second hand and these cards are coming for free so i could yeah this is good and they were like huh like i really do think it's kind of like that because like you got to think about it the hype characters are always going to be given the best decks. And this has been seen time and time again. UI Goku, it is no mistake that UI Goku has a slew of powerful effects. He's a powerful character. Um, look at Jiren. I am full, like when you look at, uh, when you look at, um, when you look at Cross Spirits, yeah, Cross Spirits. Gohan had a whole bunch of cards that just filtered and then just Divine Presence. And that's it. Like, that's why one of the reasons why it was kind of overshadowed by Vegeta when it first came out, because Vegeta had a better leader effect, better synergy with the Unison, a Unison that could be played from the deck with a TP, and then it could still play Divine Presence. Vegeta was just all around the better leader. But in set, Gohan was kind of like the throwaway because they couldn't print a second Vegeta, and they had no intention on printing another Goku when Goku was probably coming a little later. But Jiren was... When you look at Jiren, look at how many cards Jiren had. Look at the effects that Jiren had. Look at, like, Jiren had some insane prospects. Spirit boosting to evolve on your opponent's turn. Like, he's going up the chain at turbo speeds. Um, the fact that his boss card was, like, 35k did all these things. Minus something by, like, 35k through barrier or some crap like that. Like, they fully intended Jiren to be the better of the two decks, in my opinion. 
And then what happened? (laughs) Like, Jared just, he's okay. But I think their scope of what's good and what's not good is completely different from us. Like, they intend for certain decks to be better. It's just that sometimes accidentally like they they sat in this lab and the same teams made br broly and br gogeta and they really thought that these were headliners for the set when in reality one was borderline unplayable <laughs> like it's just unfortunately it's how they create their stuff um another thing that would be you know just kind of good if they if, if for that set for when they made red broly br and red gogeta br if they just took away the clause of not being able to ex evolve for the rest of the turn from that one Gogeta, that deck would have actually, made all the difference. That deck would have been amazing. You would have just started off on turn three by burning your opponent for two. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just take two. Want to see me do it again? <laughs> that that would have been amazing. Um, wow, what, what, literally, what other decks? Um, oh my gosh, you don't ask a question because there's just almost every time you've looked at an archetype and you've gone, oh yeah. Oh man! Uh, like on the real. Oh god, on the real. Invoker. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, um. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Nah. Invoker's <laughs> still in a. Invoker's still in a weird place. Like. Listen, listen. We need a new finisher. That's all I'm saying. Like, they got rid of our burn card. Give us something, dog. <laughs> all, right, all, right, all right, all right, all right, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> but um, realistically, I mean, like you said, I think I agree. Where it feels like they just make archetypes and they don't really scale the power level, and then it's just kind of like YOLO. Hope it does well. Like, I think they were banking on PyCon being insane. Cause the deck also got like, <laughs> cause like the deck also got three sets of TP support. Like it got a new TP card every set for three sets after it was released, and this guy and the set was garbage. And the deck is like trash. <laughs> Dude, PyCon is a deck where you can see <laughs> your top seven cards and know <laughs> that for seven draws you're not seeing shit. <laughs> Bruh, no, PyCon is like the fucking, you know, like if we're considering like weapon tiers, like swords and staffs and whatever, bro, mm. PyCon's like a fucking nunchuck. Dude, you are doing so much shit to accomplish nothing. Like, and half the time you might just be smacking yourself in the dick. Deadass. <laughs> here we go, here we go, here we go. PyCon, playing PyCon is like it's like having uh, like advanced observation hockey in one piece where you can see a second into the future, but having no physical conditioning. So you know somebody's about to punch you in the face, and you just have to eat it. Yeah, like, and that's like, oh, <laughs> sick, I'm about to take a punch to the face, dog. Like, <laughs> having a uh, playing Pycon is like Sasuke activating the Sharingan and then getting his shit clapped by Rock Lee in that gymnasium. <laughs> <laughs> you literally look at the top five cards of your deck and you know that you have no place for this entire deck. Uh, but, uh, um, but on the real, if I had to choose a deck, um, I'd probably choose Satan Trunks. Um, the life flip one, like now, obviously I feel a little bit of ways about it because it's a deck that I liked and they nerfed it by changing how revealing cards from life works. Um, but that is honestly an archetype that I had been thinking about for the last two and a half sets. 
where I'm like, honestly, it is on the cusp of being there. Um, it can awaken early, um, basically as early as your opponent does. And the moment you do, like if your opponent ends up awakening on a point where they haven't taken a life away from you for whatever reason, um, turn one, they can't attack. Turn two, they play a unison and they awaken. You can awaken right there and then. So you're uh, an eight life awaken potentially. Uh, you have built in removal with your leader. You have one of the most solid boss monsters in the game. It's just that deck space is a bit tight. Um, and you have potentially a ramp into a turn three boo plan, which is incredibly powerful. Um, so you have so much, I mean, technically even turn two, if your opponent's like really going ham and gets unlucky. So th there is an incredible amount of things that are going for you for the trunk stack. And it really just feels like it needs a couple of more cards of support to make it either easier to go into your lines, not require you to have so many Gokus and Vegetas in hand, or just facilitate the um, life aspect of your deck. So I, that's a deck that I'm pinned as like something that I really feel is like almost there. Now it's a little bit less because of the nerf, but nevertheless, I think kind of almost got there. I mean, I can definitely see that, that being the case. I mean, I think it's incredibly rude how that deck just came out and like, guess who can't be crit under any circumstances? Yes, sir. And yes, I was like, that's sir. like a leader ignoring an entire keyword. <laughs> that seems pretty <laughs> powerful. Like, that's not, that's not silly at all. Like, like you just had a, a leader just ignore double strength. Like, what the fuck? Like, that just seems like a little, a little strong. But, um, it's, it honestly, it that that question is just so open ended because there's just so much. There's so yeah, much. like for every like on average, I think it, we can average out to every set releasing about two to three banger archetypes that see play in the meta, which means that you're effectively talking about nine to ten archetypes that could be missing a piece or two pieces of support to get there. Um, if we assume that one to two archetypes are just trash and it really is no saving it, <coughs> Pycon. Um, then at that point you're like saying what, like, you know, nine to 10 or something like nine to eight archetypes are like on the cusp, which it often does feel that way. So it's just, it's a lot of archetypes to talk about when we're considering like just a couple of, couple of inches you could give a deck to potentially get there. I mean, what? like we, we even saw it with the older leaders, right? Um, OG Broly, it took one revamped, uh, field card to completely change that deck. Um, same thing with King Vegeta, not as competitive as the Broly deck, but nevertheless, the field card completely changed how that deck plays. So. I feel like uh, George is being super generous. I would like to say that each set, each set gives us one absolutely head and shoulders above the rest archetype. And then they give us like two to three archetypes that can work if we put the work in. But inevitably, you will be trounced by better card value. And then the rest of the archetypes are dog water. And sometimes he's like, like I'm just going to take the, the, basic, the basic thing real quick. Real quick. You look at Vermilion Bloodlines. Gogeta, unplayable. Broly, snapped the moment he got that TP card. SS4, uh, Vegeta, unplayable because of Dark Broly's 30k blocker. And you just don't want that nonsense in your life. Uh, Baby, it was all right. But no reason to play over Soul Striker. Like, like... Like, these things were just kind of, like, weird. You had a bunch of decks that could do Majin Vegeta. You could high roll. It was like Gogeta Zeno before Gogeta Zeno was a real thing. You could high roll. You could low roll. When you high rolled, you felt like God. When you low rolled, you're like, stupid ball, stupid deck. Like, it's just, it's kind of wild how silly some of these, like, cards are. And just, you just look at them and you're like, 
how could you do this? Like, literally, how could you do this? Now, granted, there are some sets that are more key than others. I guess, yeah, no, I, I suppose. I suppose your ratios are correct. Because I'm looking at the next set right now, and Launch and King Piccolo were very solid decks. Yeah. But like, King Piccolo was solid by accident. Yeah, of course. So, like, I'm not saying cream of the crop, obviously, but I'd say there's, like, about three-ish ballpark that usually end up seeing some decent play. <laughs> Hold um, on. Hold on. <laughs> wait, 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 I take it back. Launch, that's the, that's the end of the set. I think that's the end of the set. Launch and Piccolo were good. Uh, Janimba inset was dog water. Pycon was dog water. Lord Slug was dog water. <laughs> What's the other one in here? Is it Turles? Is Turles this one? Oh my god, it's all dog water. Like, what's the yellow for this set? What was that for? Oh, like, sorry. What was the set? That wasn't. Uh, no, that wasn't. Thirteen. Oh yeah, yeah. We had Weiss, or we had a life flip freezer and Weiss. <laughs> oh wow, the front page of this set is hot fire, and then the rest of it is like absolutely trash. Oh, and then we got Shroom and Salsa, and uh, Gogeta Zena, who would not be relevant for like three sets. I think, I think I think I was well within the ballpark for that. Yeah, yeah. We got Gogeta. We got King Piccolo. We got Launch. You can't count Gogeta on release. Gogeta on release was trash. <laughs> like, it was, absolutely it, trash. It was playable. It's fine. It, it's fine. Bro, it did not have. And then when we're talking about our types that can't be saved, um, Shuman Salsa, uh, PyCon. Um, honestly, Janemba, while he wasn't the best leader for the R-Type, the R-Type was actually like deceptively good. Um, Our type is good in Soul Striker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, true, true. But I'm just saying, people aren't used to blue aggro, so like you can catch people off guard with it. So, That's I mean, true. like here's the thing: if we consider the art, and you know, we said the art type just needs one or two cards to make it fix. Yeah, the one or two cards was just swapping out leaders. Bet. <laughs> all right, like don't get me wrong i don't love vicious rejuvenation <laughs> when i'm looking at these leaders but like yeah weiss was like okay frieza is like a meme deck no, um, you said gogeta zeno was playable when it literally has three tps in the same deck <laughs> it was not playable yeah yeah, yeah yeah well sure but like you have the three tps that pycon got and you got the three tps that gogeta got you know like not all things built the same <laughs> i mean See, that's fair, but the TPs for PyCon weren't even bad. PyCon's just bad itself. True. Very true. <laughs> um, PyCon had a good starting point. My lord. Like, it would have been on that. Ah, if only these cards you scryed into did something. <laughs> so, that's the thing. Um, I'd say we can look into most sets, and the majority of the leaders would be, like, two to three cards away. Some not, obviously, but I, I think that's kind of where most archetypes are, which kind of lends itself to pr having an argument for most archetypes. Now, moving on to the Discord. This question coming from Torax. Where do you think blue and generic ultimates go from Hatch, Pan, and Kai? And I will preface this by saying that this discussion, this started from a discussion that happened on my Discord that same day. Where the generic blues? Like generic ultimates. Yeah, so oh, okay. Yeah, so, so generic um, secret rares. Um, and the discussion came from the Discord where um, they were discussing the fact that like there's no real unisons at the moment that could be printed that kind of come to par in terms of what um, Pan, Kai, and Hatch for Blue decks kind of give them, right? Like, and it's kind of true. It's, right, like Blue, I could, I can't even begin to fathom in which situations I wouldn't want Hatch to be at the helm of my blue deck. Unless the archetype is doing something so incredibly specific that it needs to be another secret rare. Um, and then 
we have Pan and Kai, and Pan and Kai kind of complement each other incredibly well, where in formats where Kai is bad, Pan is good. In formats where Pan is bad, Kai is good. And they complement each other in that kind of like one-two swap in terms of what they deal with. So it's, it's this really, really weird position. And then like, they're all just kind of free 40Ks, right? Pan literally can be played as just a 40K extra overall. So it's, it puts into question where do secret rares go from here? Uh, we got to that point when they were making finisher secret rares, um, Celzino, Apex of Power, cards like those. And it's like, okay, well, like, like where do you go from that, right? Like, if you just happen to be a, a, a green deck or a yellow deck that can support going into a 12 drop, you just play Celzino. And then they moved into these utility secret rares where Hatch, um, Kai, and Pan now live. And it's, where do you go, right? I don't, as a blue, I don't know. Um, I think you could maybe make something aggressive, but there's something to say in blue about just getting a free turn whenever you see your secret rare. Yep. So, um, so I don't, I, I really don't actually know where we go from unisons that'll see as widespread, widespread play as Hatch does for blue and as Pan and Kai do for basically every other deck. All right, well, see, this is why uh, Ben and Anista pay me. I'm not going to say the big bucks. Just give me, like, some money so I can, like, leave my current job and pursue content creation. <laughs> um, if I was on the design team, the route that I'd be seeing with this is um, secret rares benefit most. A player benefits most from a secret rare when that secret rare does something that nothing else in their deck quite does. All right? Um, when we first got secret rares, the Vegito was just a bunch of swings at one time, almost unplayable. Hyper Evolution was very specific. Uh, by the time we are in set nine, Black Smoke is doing a whole lot of things. Cell Zeno is ending games. And to be fair, in both yellow and green, they did not have a card that just came down and instantly threatened game. They were taking away from your hand advantage, taking away from your board, tapping your board, stopping your plays. And Cell Zeno did something in those two colors that was not currently you know, in that two colors wheelhouse. Um, you look at cards like Hatch. Blue has a whole lot of cards that stop your attacks, bounce cards, but Blue does not have a single card that just ends a battle phase and or ends a whole turn, and that's what Hatch does. Pan allows any aggressive deck that normally would have to forego defense to be able to play Pan and potentially survive that turn very handedly. You also have the fact that Supreme Kai gave a full warp board wipe. You can't use the stuff for overrun. You can't do this. Certain effects don't even proc off because they don't go to your drop zone. Kai is capable of doing that. So the only way to stop these secret rares from being played are to introduce more effects in each color that do these things. Because if I can have a four drop that can do the same thing as my secret rare, I'm going to start looking at other secret rares that do things that I can't already do. If you want Hatch to stop being played, you need to give blue even better defenses than it currently has and then make an alternative card that can help them win the game. Because if blue gets a finisher SCR that's very good and they have enough defenses to go, do I need another SCR? Do I need another redundant turn-stopping card that takes my SCR slot? Or do I have enough defense in my deck to protect myself and then potentially blow you out when I decide to drop whatever offensive SCR that's designed better than PyCon. Um, but uh, that's what you need to start doing. Like, that's that's what you need to start doing. You um, you look at, uh, like, Vegeta, right? Vegeta is a really, really good card as an SCR. 
And right now, you have most of these decks like not being able to utilize the full effect of Ultra Mastery. But if Ultra Mastery didn't require like sparking Gajillion, there may be a case of still using cards like Pan in red decks, but using Ultra Mastery as your top end. Ultra Mastery is a kind of limited thing. Yes, you get the board wipe, but you don't get to rip the card. And playing four in a red deck, you really do need to get ultimate value off that card. But like that, that is how you uh, dissuade people from playing. The moment black gets a close to free, like just stop your opponent from attacking or some sort of like, you know, just interference like that, they will start looking at other things. Like if, if I have a pan like effect that costs one, I might start looking at Kai more because I don't have many board wipes at all. But that's all you need to do. You just need to make these effects not as exclusive and make them playable. And people will start wondering if the one of slot of their deck is worth playing a redundant effect. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, remains to be seen. I mean, at the end of the day, they could always just ban them. <laughs> and that would solve that problem. I was not trying to hit that because that is the <laughs> easiest way. But if you, ban, if you ban Hatch right now, like, that's pain. Bro, that's so like, painful. Blue, Blue's already in a weird space of, like, being a good color, but somehow not the best color. Like, Blue is really weird. Blue is that player who you're never going to expect to win the game, but you know he's going to put some points on the map. But that's not winning the game. Like, yeah, if he's yeah, your favorite yeah. player, like, you're going to always wear his jersey, but, I mean, you're never going to be sitting here, like, kissing a ring or some shit. Like, it, I don't know. It's it's unfortunate. Yeah, the way I describe Blue is... um. Every game is earned. You know, there are some matches where, like, the deck really carries or the matchup really carries. Um, if you do well with the blue deck, odds are you probably fought harder than most people at that tournament. Um, because every, most, if not every single one of your wins is, like, through just pure grind. Um, so uh, I'll give that to, like, blue players. And, like, losing Hatch on that front would be, like, incredibly feels bad just because of how bear blue is forced to play because of the design space that it just kind of explores at the moment so it's it's a tough call but i don't know we'll see um you know every set brings us a wave of three plus depending on the set uh new secrets and we'll just have to see what kind of design space they try to explore now i mean vegeta was a really good step forward for red and we'll see how other colors are able to utilize similarly our Last question comes from Neek. If you were to each design a new extra card for the Invoker archetype, what would it be and oh, why? No! Is that in your Discord or on your Twitter? That's in Discord. I don't care, ban him. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, what is wrong with you? The, what is wrong with you? The idea that I came up with from the Tournament of Powers when Krillin throws a stinky shoe helped KO an opponent being able to represent some kind of barrier removal for the I mean, the archetype already has barrier removal. Um, you can use Death Beam as an activate main right off the rip or as an activate battle, minus 35k, ignoring barrier. So it's, it's already kind of fine on that front. Um, <laughs> I, 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 this is obviously not Chris's wheelhouse. Um, but if you had to ask me, I would love a more pro... I don't know what it would be. Um, but I would love a more a proactive invoker card. Um... So Invoker is obviously a very reactionary archetype. Every, almost everything you do is reactionary to what your opponent does. Um, negate, removal spell, um, even the counter-counter is extremely specific and you know, extremely reactionary. Um, 
I wish there were more invoker effects that would uh, allow me to push my game plan on my turn. Uh, we see those, the two that exist right now is, um, I forget the one, but it's the King Cold one that draws you two and then your opponent has to neg if they're over 10 cards in hand. Um, and then there is the board wipe. Now those cards are super dope and I love playing those and I would love, some, and like, I, I don't want it to be just straight advantage. Like, hey, give me something else that draws cards, but um, something that would do something interesting on my turn so that I could play Invoker a little bit more proactively if the need came onto it. Um, so, I don't know, maybe giving my leader dual attack or something. And obviously, like, these would be incredibly broken, especially with A17 living in the game right now. Um, those would be very powerful and busted. But, like, if we were going to say in a perfect world where I got to choose what I want to do with the archetype, uh, I would love something proactive. What it would look like, I don't know. Like I said, give my leader a keyword, do something. Um, some way to kind of, like, change up how the deck plays would be super cool um and i think that's kind of where i would go something that allows me to be a bit more proactive than reactive would where i would want to go but like invoker already does so much right it, it has insane board control it has insane protection the leader can look at your hand twice per game um <laughs> like it's just really tough to balance <laughs> i'm saying dude like, i'm saying um how about you chris what invoker card would you design I cannot give brain cells <laughs> and time to Invoker when it doesn't need anything. It's time in the sun is over. Like, it's just, it needs to stop. Um, you guys may think I'm being crazy with this one, but Invoker's actually not coming back. I'm sorry to tell you. It's really not. Um, <laughs> I think not, not, uh, in, not in the same way that it did before, but I do think there'll be a, a few players who are able to push that deck to a place where it'll do well. I mean, and their names are Sublet, Legends, like, Rios. <laughs> like, there's literally, like, five, four or five people that are going to make, like, Invoker, like, really good. If you step the fuck out of your house and, like, get on as many events as possible, like, you could be one of them. Like, there are going to be a handful of very skilled Invoker players that do it. But at the same time, Invoker is, su there's no margin for error in that deck, yo. Yeah, like, you miss sequence one turn and you're dead. People are going to buy playsets of 17 and just get folded and feel like something's wrong with the game, but in reality, it was your brainstem. And to be fair, everybody is capable of making misplays, but like there are certain decks that punish you for missequencing. Absolutely destroy you for missequencing, and Invoker is one of them. So Invoker will not just run the entire game because, I mean, you hate to see it, but there's definitely U7 Goku running around, and I'm sorry, as Invoker, you don't combo. And like, yes, you can hit people with Death Beam. Yes, you got a lot of good cards at your disposal, but U7 will just keep spitting out cards. And if King Piccolo doesn't get hit, <laughs> sorry, dog. Like, sorry, dog, as well. Like, there is too much red running around and Gogeta Zeno turning their shit sideways every turn for anybody to be out here misplaying with Invoker. <laughs> like, that's just how I feel about that one. It's pretty King funny, Cold bro. will come through and double strike you multiple times. Bro, when, the, when I saw this card and I looked at it, the Android 17 everybody's like, Invoker's back. I was like, as a Gohan player, I might side two more Chompa. Like, I may just put you up to 40k double strike four different times off my leader and force you to try to have that negate. Like, did you negate me this turn? All right, 45k double strike. All right, this turn? All right, I'm doing it again. You got a couple more cards in hand. It's 65 now. Oh, that's two life in this leader, so we got through, sweet. And then I'm just trying to pile my entire hand. Like, 
I, it's, it's not as like simple as it may seem, but it's just like, yeah, a lot of people are just overestimating or underestimating how much input Invoker takes to pilot correctly. I, I think so too. And it's also why, like, I think people buying, like, obviously there's going to be a couple of players who just really absolutely need the card and are going to buy them at a hundred a piece. But like already we're seeing the card be like 50 a piece on sell sites. And I wouldn't, and even then they're not all moving at this point. And it's because one, the player pool for Invoker is incredibly low. And then even beyond that, you know, players who can pilot it well, even less so. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see. Um, I do think Android 17 changes the way the deck plays in a big way, but only if you really know how. And at the end of the day, even then, it's still a deck that requires you to have knowledge on like the entirety of the meta because every matchup plays differently and you're going to need different cards for different things. So especially as a combo control deck, it's just one of those things you have to take into account for. And it's a deck you're going to need a lot of reps in. So. Oh. So that's up with that. And those are all the questions that we have on the in the SA mailbag this time around, guys. And of course, reminder, if you guys want your questions answered on air, you can tweet at me at TV with the hashtag SC mailbag or jump into the Discord and go into the SC mailbag channel and post your questions on there. And we will answer them on air. But with that said, that was our episode for this week. Before we sign off, Chris, uh, is there anything you'd like our listeners to know? Anything that they should be expecting from you? This week until the next time we talk again. We got a fight night coming out. U7 versus U7. That should be fun to watch. Uh, everybody likes U7 Goku. And uh, people seem to like my U7 Gohan. Uh, and it is a father-son deathmatch. Best of three with sides. So that should be a lot for people to eat up. Uh, I won't tell you the outcome t- until you guys can watch it. But yeah, I think it was a fun game. Z- fun games. And then... Uh, past that, we're going to be getting spoilers throughout the week for Black, so you can expect my, uh, my spoiler talk for Black. You can also expect me to, yeah, you can expect that. You can expect me to, um, oof, almost a little weird there. You can expect me to kind of come up with the deck profile or overview for it. There's a lot of stuff you can expect. Uh, I'm just me pumping out content all week. Brutal. Hey, there you go. Um, on my front, you guys already guys know I'm the stream guy. Um, you know when when I actually get on stream. Otherwise, uh, please go to like Lucas or Kaoken Cards or something like that instead. He's way more consistent these days. <laughs> um, but uh, we do plan on streaming. Um, something that I might try and introduce. Uh, this set, re- this reveal season this time around is maybe um doing a weekly review, either on. I'm going to try to aim to do it on stream, but otherwise we'll see. Um, review of the colors, kind of like what Hearthstone um, and like magic content creators do when they have reveal seasons where they kind of just like rate archetypes as they start coming out. Um, I know that you and other creators in our card space do that. Um, I'm going to try and bring my own spin to it. We'll see. Depends how much time I got. <laughs> I'm an extremely busy boy these days. But uh, if I can get towards doing that, that'll be the new stuff that I'll try and bring to the channel in the coming weeks as reveal season goes. So with that said, of course, thanks everyone for jumping into the Super Combo Podcast and listening in. And until the next time, best of luck with your top decks. Nothing. I mean, I am the best U7 Gohan player. Okay. Okay. All right. Bye, guys. I thought thought it was known. I thought it was already known. What, What is there to dispute?